Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, it's Tuesday morning, and for some of you, this is going to be very familiar. If you're new to the show, and there are always new listeners, right? There's always new people moving in from California or Arizona or Idaho or wherever else. Uh, here's what we're going to do on Tuesday mornings. On Mondays, most coaches around the country, but certainly in state, which is what really matters here, uh, have their press conferences. Their college football uh, teams are getting going here, and so the coaches have their press conferences. So we start off the show by hearing from all the coaches in their own words, whoever your team is, Utes, Cougars, Aggies, whatever, we'll get you your guy. Um, and honestly, the first one, th- this will probably be the worst one of the year for Kyle. I think they'll get much more interesting as we can see games because we haven't been able to see his practices. And there were some good questions. I went to his press conference yesterday, and there were some good questions about uh, what he saw in the quarterback battle, why he decided on Charlie Brewer. So there was some good stuff. But it'll be much better when we can see games and see stuff for ourselves and get into that with him. We're going to start with Aggie coach Blake Anderson. Obviously new to town, coming in from Arkansas State, rebuilding job, coming off a terrible year. lot of transfers in the program. What kind of impact are they going to make? Um, how quickly can this be turned around? We've seen the Aggies before be really good and suddenly be really bad. And we've seen them be really bad and suddenly be really good. So, you know, they're only a year or two away from something completely different from whatever they've done in the last year or two. And I think with transfers, that's going to become even more true. So here's Blake Anderson with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Blake, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, we have followed you from afar. We haven't gotten to know you much, which is why I asked Scott Gerard on uh, last Monday morning. I was watching the interviews you did after the scrimmage on Saturday, and I thought you seemed irritated. And I asked Scott... Well, was he really down about the way the scrimmage went, or is that just intense college football coach with the media all sorts of fired up because he's got a new gig and a thousand things to do? Oh, who knows, man? Who knows? Uh, knows? Uh, You know, I I really – I thought we were a little tired and a little sloppy, but all in all, after going back and watching on tape, it was probably better. You know, it's it's, I've always – it's never as bad as you think, and it's never as good as you think, and that's kind of probably one of those times. Uh, we we we've been running them pretty good, and they looked a little tired Saturday. And after I watched tape, it looked a little better than I thought. So I know exactly who Coach Anderson is because, as I told him the first time we had him on, my wife's grandmother lived in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and I've been to Jonesboro many, many times. So Blake and I—I I mean, we've both been to the mall in Jonesboro, so we. <laughs> We know each other, even though we haven't met personally. What was uh, that big place that you turn left, you turn right, you go in, everybody got lost, everybody knew? Oh, man. Anybody has been to the, in the mall in Jonesboro, yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're family already. Yeah. <laughs> I've eaten at the Wyatt's Cafeteria in the mall in Jonesboro many, many times over the years. Made the drive from Memphis on in. Uh, so, but just stepping aside, go big picture on your life, man. I mean, this is just crazy. It's got to be crazy for you. You got to feel all sets of anticipation. I mean, we know the tragedy with your wife, and then you change jobs, you remarried, your kids are older, you move all the way over to Logan, Utah, of all places. And yeah, I realize you're in the middle of it, and it's probably helping you. But have you had time to reflect on just how crazy everything has been for the last few years? You know, uh, it's funny you say that. It, it you're you are in the middle of it, and it does help. It kind of keeps your mind occupied, and you get in the you get in the routine of things on a daily basis and just 
you know, kind of working the problem, and there's plenty for us to fix. We've got a lot of work to do to, to become the team we want to be. But, but at the same time, some of the things that you remember are just those times of year that, that uh, and you're going through some of the toughest things you've ever been through. And fall camp, I, I told the guys here, very transparent, fall camp's hard for me because that's kind of when everything really, really hit hard, when Wendy got really, really sick. And uh, and the guys are great. You know, I'm still getting to know these these kids and really building relationships. And I was uh, I was really surprised at how many guys just popped their head in my office through the course of fall camp. And hey, coach, how you doing? Nothing to do with football, just man, how you doing? How's your how you feeling today, man? Where's your where's your head at today? And so it's been fun getting to know these guys. It's been it's been really encouraging to see the kind of uh, just compassion that these guys have for each other. I think it's gonna. I think it's going to bleed over to the football field. It's a group of kids that really like being around each other and being in the office and, and being up here with us. So I, I'm beyond excited to get going, uh, excited about a new challenge, and it is that. Uh, and, and, and But just my first glimpse of this group of guys really working on a daily basis from 6 in the morning till, you know 10 o'clock at night of the fall camp grind, uh, really, really love this group of guys. You know, there's always, uh, in college sports, team building is really important because you're turning over 20 to 30% of the team every year. But now that the transfer portal is going nuts, it's even more than that. So I would think that you've got to spend a lot of time on that getting to know each other and bonding thing because otherwise you're going to end up playing like an all-star team and that's just going to get you beat. No, that's a huge challenge. It is. We know. You know, super seniors, a bunch of veteran guys that came back for a year that, that was not expected. So I think that helps just the maturity that those guys bring to the table. But we did, we did like a lot of folks, bring in some transfers to try to help immediate, you know, immediate holes. Now, most of them were here in the spring, which I think was huge. We got a chance to go through the spring semester and work them through the summer. Only a few guys that weren't a part of the spring and summer program. So we, we didn't really have a ton of new this fall camp but uh you can't just assume that they all know each other we had to spend a lot of time just doing things outside of football that had nothing to do with x's and o's just spending time together getting to know each other did some fun things did some things that talk about you know just what our culture is going to be and i think it's a group that has gelled pretty well we'll really know once we go out and we start playing and and all the problems really kind of get created out on the field adversity hits that kind of shows your true character but from a glimpse and, and just the amount of time we've had, I've been pretty pleased at how this whole group has kind of come together, including the transfers that, that we brought in. And you have some transfers that came over from Arkansas State, and obviously one being a quarterback, didn't play Bonner in the spring. Uh, can you give us an update, or are you willing to tell us who's going to be the starter? Well, I'm, I'm not willing to tell you who's going to be the starter. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let everybody figure that out at the same time. Uh one of the good things about college ball i really don't have to tell anybody and i'm gonna i'm gonna keep that process going it is still an ongoing competition to be true truthful we uh we did miss bonner in the spring a good bit of the summer and he is completely healthy at this point which has been which has been good he's he's been healthy all through fall camp but he and andrew peasley have been battling at it and we're just trying to be as thorough as we can this is bigger than than one game honestly bigger than one season we want to make sure that we're moving forward in the absolute right direction. And, and the best thing we do is just let them keep competing and keep battling. And, uh, we're going to make that decision, when we, honestly, when we feel like it's time. And uh, just, just have not been quite there quite yet. Um, and, and I think uh, just experience and time and, 
opportunity to play, all that stuff, and practice on a daily basis, help us make the best decision we can. So does that mean you're willing to let the competition go in a game or two, or at least certainly this uh, Washington State opener, and let both very, guys very, play? It, it, that's quite possible. It, it is. You know, I'm just kind of evaluating day-to-day. and it, It's such a close race. Both of them are, are quality players and going to have uh, you know, have have all the skills that need to lead us. Just kind of looking for something small that really kind of triggers. This is exactly where we want to head. I'm I'm not, you know, I've gone through the two quarterback rotation system a couple different times in my career out of necessity. Last year out of COVID at Carolina, uh, out of injury, and and have been successful to some degree. But you know, I just want to make sure that that we've been fair to both of the guys for the amount of time and energy they put into it. With um, with Logan going through the injury, really, you know, not, nothing that he did wrong to create that. Just trying to make sure that we're we're 100 percent moving forward. And so, uh, we're fortunate that if I think if we had to, you know, we could we could take a glimpse of this for a little while. But ultimately, we will we will we will end up with one quarterback and, and move forward at some point in the, in the pretty near future. So you got Washington State, and you're doing to Nick Rolovich what he's going to do to you because I don't think he's naming the starting quarterback with the transfer. He's got the transfer from Tennessee, and then he's got the returning young kid in Delora, and it looks like he doesn't want me. He might, but as I looked this morning, it didn't look like he wanted to announce who the quarterback is. So you're kind of playing games with each other, and maybe it's just what you want to do and not really related to the other team. But what type of challenge does that present for your defense which, you know, I can say struggled last year, but I think you got uh, just about all back, nine top tacklers, plus you got one of your kids, Justin Rice, coming over, who's a really good player. So defensively, you should be okay. Yeah, I think we've improved there from, from you know, what you saw a year ago and some of the additions and injuries that are back healthy on the field. Some of the transfers have all made immediate impacts. Yeah, I think it'll look, the scheme is different, just the – the environment of what we're trying to create over there, just the way we let them cut loose and play, I think you're going to see a good bit of improvement over there. There seems to be a confidence about them. Coach Ben and the crew on defensive staff have just brought in an energy, and I think the kids have gotten fired up about it. I've seen steady improvement from them. Justin Rice, obviously, is a good good one to have. He just always ends up around the ball. He did that for us last year at Arkansas State. He did it at Fresno before. So I think we're headed in the right direction there. Uh, we're going to have to grow up quickly. Uh, they've got a lot of weapons, and, and their offensive line is massive. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, their offensive line may be the most experienced in, in Division One football this year when you look at how many snaps they've played. So it, it's going to be tough for us regardless. But I do like how the, the defense is, is flying to the ball, the energy that they're playing with. And I think we've got a few key features, you know, key pieces that can create some, you know, can kind of create some chaos for them. Blake Anderson, Utah State football coach, joining us. Coach, you mentioned the the transfers coming in and plugging holes. How many of these transfers do you think are going to start, or and then how many in the two deep who will play but not start? Well, you know, in terms of starting in in two deep, I I think we're pretty fluid in, in terms of who the starter is and who's going to play. I, I would tell you that all the guys that we brought in, I expect to be in the two deep and be part of, you know, kind of impacting games on a, on a weekly basis, whether it be uh, offense, defense, special teams, all the above. Uh, who's going to be a starter? Who's not going to be a starter? I think that's still very, very fluid. And it really, it's one play at a time. Packages and sub packages and personnel dictate a lot of that. Uh, they've all come in 
and have made uh, an impact. They have all contributed in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I don't feel like we've brought a single transfer in, uh, and, and I thought the, the staff did a really good job identifying what our needs were, what kids we thought fit our culture and, and, and would fit the environment and kind of come in and, and add value, and really all of them have. Some roles are bigger than others, and I think that's always going to be the case, but it, really every one of those transfers that we brought in have impacted our team and are going to, uh, especially through a long through a long season. You got a transfer at running back too. Jalen Warren obviously took off. I think he went to Oklahoma State. You got uh, three or four guys up there. Do you think that, or who do you think is going to be able to lead the way as far as the rushing attack? Well, I, I think it's going to be a little bit by committee. Uh, you're really going to see them all. We, we've we've kind of given them all opportunities, and each one of those guys kind of bring you know Gentry and Calvin and Noah and, and Lockie. You know, I I I see four different guys getting touches. Uh, depending on, and, and honestly, maybe five DHC, if he's completely healthy, he's been banged up a little bit. I don't know that we're going to have a, a one feature back. Now, that may it may present itself, and somebody may separate themselves from the rest of the group, but up to this point, it has really been keep them fresh. Uh, you know, guys go out there, they're fully, fully rested, ready to go. You don't really know the difference between one to the next. They all can block, they all can catch, and they all are efficient runners. I think now game time, we may watch a guy that really plays well under the lights and just has it kind of gets in a rhythm and it may separate itself. But I I have not seen that yet. And I've had seasons before where with the amount of snaps that we get, that kind of plays into our favor because the guy's just always fresh and has, has fresh legs. And that can be a benefit to us, you know, especially late in the game. Fresno State and San Jose State won big. Hawaii got blown out. How much of those three Mountain West teams did you watch, and what were your impression of those uh, of those clubs? You know, really none of those games surprised me all that much. Uh, watched a little bit of all the games that were on. Everybody's kind of anxious to watch a little ball. We were in the middle of camp and, and still working, so didn't get to really focus on them a lot. But I, I'll tell you, nothing really surprised me about the games. I, I kind of expected – the outcomes, depending on, you know, based off who they were playing and, and the experience levels that some of them had coming back, uh, you know, I, I, I really wasn't all that surprised. I think some matches that come up, uh, you know, here in the next few weeks will, will be fun to watch and, and maybe a little bit more competitive than a couple of those that we watch this week. As I look at your offense, uh, you, you turn some guys across the uh, each of the each of the different positions. But can I argue that receiver is your best position in terms of returning production and what you expect? Well, you can sure argue it, and you're probably right. Uh, when you look at the room with the guys that we brought in and the guys that are here, uh, it, it you know it, it's a spot that we we're excited about, no doubt. I think uh, I mean it's it's hard to find a guy that's more fun to watch than, than uh, DT out in space, Scarver with the speed. Griff with the size, we're bringing Brandon Bowling, who's caught a ton of balls for us over the last few years at Arkansas State. Kyle has had a phenomenal spring and fall camp and just keeps making play after play after play. Uh, you know, I think that's a you know that's the fun part is kind of seeing who the next guy is going to be. Derek Wright has had a great fall camp. Jamie Nance has been a great addition. So we've got some speed. We've got some guys that are you know long. We've got some guys that are super quick in space. And clearly, what we do offensively is about creating space and one-on-one matchups and anxious to see how people will play us and, and what matchups really play in our favor. Uh, we, we need to stay healthy there. We're not, 
we're not you know super deep at any particular position, uh, and we need to keep those feature guys on the field and healthy, and that'll be that'll be a challenge all year. Well, Coach, we appreciate a few minutes this morning. We're looking forward to your opener, Washington State, Saturday night, 9 o'clock on the Pac-12 Network. Thanks for hopping on with us. Appreciate it, guys. It's time to go. There's Blake Anderson. He's going to join us live Monday mornings at 9.30, and we'll replay it for you early risers here on Tuesday mornings on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Kyle Whittingham as the Utes get ready for Weber State, and he explains why they settled on the quarterback decision they settled on. We'll do that next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So Kyle Whittingham had his press conference yesterday. Um, I got to admit, I'm a little disappointed. Last year, during COVID times, uh, the press conference ended up being a Zoom call at 8 a.m., and he apparently had nothing to do until 9 because they tried to end it last year. And he'd tell the PR guy, be like, just a couple more questions. Uh, we're almost out of time. A couple more questions. And Kyle would be like, I got all kinds of time. Let him rip. <laughs> I love that. And I love the fact we got to carry him live for you folks at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but they've gone back to kind of the familiar setting, which Kyle has done for years, where he has a press conference at 11 or noon. This year it's going to be at 11 o'clock, and they do it in the football facility, and we were all there. And... And I went there for it, and uh, I, I think that this will be, as I said in the last segment, I think this will be the least interesting of any press conference that Kyle has for the next three months. And he said some interesting stuff. He got into how they settled the quarterback derby. He got into the changes on the offensive line. There's still question marks there, even on a Monday. And I don't, I don't think he was, uh, I don't think he was spinning for us. I think legitimately, there's two or three guys. He just isn't sure they're going to be available. If they're going to be available, they're going to be at 100. percent So you know, there are some questions to that. There are obviously changes. I asked him about the name, image, and likeness, how that is playing out, and uh, I think the question caught him off guard a little bit. So, which I think backs up his answer is that at this point, he hasn't seen anything. I do think coaches across the nation are looking out. You know, the jealousy angle. And are certain guys cashing in and other guys who think they should be cashing in aren't, and then they'll get cranked up. I mean, I think there are differences built into the same engine and likeness, but I don't think freshmen look at seniors and think, I should be that guy, you know. Um, but we'll have to see. We did have on, um, we did have on uh, Nick Ford yesterday, Utah offensive lineman, who said that Moochie's doing a thing with the whole offensive line. And I think – to the degree that position groups got get brought in together, I think that kind of diffuses that kind of stuff. Obviously, what BYU did with Bill Bar, where they're doing it for all you know something for all the scholarship players, but a lot more for all the walk-ons, that diffuses this kind of stuff too. But Kyle talks about that. So here he is. Here's Kyle Winningham on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jay Hill's done a great job there, and uh, they're they're a uh, team that is well coached. And uh, very sound, uh, fundamentally, technique-wise, schematically, they're uh, they're a very good team, and so uh, we're excited to get the season underway and, and see what we got and go from there. So, questions? <clears throat> I 
Kyle, what, what led to Charlie Brewer ultimately winning that starting quarterback job? Well, he had the edge statistically, first of all, and that's not the only uh, thing you take into account. But uh, he did have a slight edge statistically. Um, just a guy that uh, has a lot of leadership, and, and it was a close call. It could have gone, uh, you know, it was, it was so close it could have gone either way. But but Charlie's experience, uh, having started over 40 games or played in over 40 Division One games, and uh, the success he had at uh, at Baylor throwing the football, and and uh, you know our team, I believe our team would have been. Uh, just fine with either decision. I mean, they would have rallied around whichever guy ultimately won the job. They're both, they're both very well respected, hard workers, uh, prepare the way you're supposed to. And so, it was, uh, it was really close. But ultimately, Charlie and and probably the ex- experience factor was uh, probably the biggest uh, reason behind it. Looking at the running backs um, going in, into Thursday's game, or, or what, what are you doing in terms of evaluating how to divide up the snaps? Is it just something that's going to be dictated by the flow of the game, or do you have a specific plan in mind? Well, we have the plan in mind to play them all and give them all carries and all opportunities to show what they can do. Uh, the flow of the game, you know, each one of them has their, their strengths, and so the flow of the game will dictate a lot of that, but, but uh, we expect all of them, to, we know they're all going to get playing time and, and they'll all get carries unless something unforeseen happens and and then uh, we'll see what the production level is and and, uh, and go from there as far as uh, moving forward with uh, a depth chart. And until it separates itself, we'll just keep them all as, as uh, 1, 1A, 1B, and 1C, I guess. Hey, Kyle, just back to the QBs for a second. How did Cam take that news? He's obviously been around the block here for a few years. What was his reaction there? Exactly what you had hoped. He's professional. He understood. Uh, disappointed because he's a competitor. But uh, no drop-off whatsoever in, in uh, practice habits, preparation, uh, attitude. It was all absolutely outstanding and, and has been. And, and uh, if, he, you know, if his number's called, he'll be ready. We have no doubt about that. What do you feel like you've learned about Charlie Brewer in the eight months that he's been in the program? Poised, uh, calm under pressure, uh, goes through his read progression very quickly, is decisive, you know, gets the ball out of his hand quickly, uh, accurate thrower, um, has a good pocket presence. He can, he can sense the rush and move around in the pocket the way you want a quarterback to. Uh, his escapability is, is good. He's not a, a statue back there. Both him and Cam are very mobile quarterbacks. Um, and just, to, you know, the, the, probably the main thing is that we've seen is decision-making. Does He's a great decision-maker. Coach, <clears throat> it feels like an unconventional thing that you've had, I think, three times in five years now, a non-starting quarterback as a captain on the team. How have the guys on the team and those individuals handled that, where they're captains but not on the field for the first snap? Right, they've handled it very well, and that's something that we uh, we uh, stress to our guys. It's not always the best players or the or the most popular or the most. Uh, statistically uh, accomplished player is the guys that are the best leaders and and uh, that being the case I think our guys have taken that to heart and uh, that's what happens on you know sometimes as you get guys that that uh, are outstanding leaders but maybe not uh, number one at their position and so that's uh, another 
uh, situation where Cam has been uh, in the program for quite a while and, and uh, been a great leader for us, and, and the players recognize that. And it's worked out well. I don't haven't seen any uh, any negative side effects from that. Uh, the way that's gone down. Looking at the depth chart, is there any update on who QB three might be? Uh, this week it'll be Bryson Barnes. Bryson Barnes will be QB three, and and uh, Jaquinn Jackson's been down with uh, an injury that's that uh, probably won't allow him to to uh, be ready just quite yet. It's still you know three days out, so there's a chance, but but uh, it looks like it's going to be Bryson. Also, also on the depth chart, you've been talking recently about some offensive line injuries. Is there anything further on that? No, because it's still in flux. We've got, uh, I think it's three of them that, uh, as of today, we're not sure if they'll be ready yet. And so no different uh, situation today than what we had uh, towards the end of last week. And that's, you know, it's the most unstable uh, at least health-wise, position on the team right now. We, you know, we'd like it to be uh, situated and and, uh, and all set, but uh, that's not the case. Fortunately, we got a lot of guys that are game ready, and that you know whoever is available should be able to function just fine. It seems like you go up against a lot of really good running backs throughout the year, and, you, and, you, and you've got one on Thursday. And Josh Davis, what what stands out about his game? He's just a tough kid. He's he's a hard runner. He's uh, he's instinctive. Uh, and he, he makes positive yards. I mean, he's a guy that's always making something out of nothing and, and uh, getting those extra yards after contact. And he's just a tough, hard-nosed guy, and, and uh, he'll be a challenge. Kyle, it's early on, but the name, image, and likeness as guys are cutting deals and getting involved in social uh, media with that, is it having any impact in the team? Have you seen anything inside the program? No, I haven't personally. Uh, I know what's going on, and we see the – you know, we hear about the the deals and the contracts that the players are involved with, but uh, as far as affecting the team dynamic or anything in the locker room, I don't. If it is there, I'm more unaware of it. It just seems to be everything flowing uh, in a normal fashion, and uh, yeah, so nothing out of the ordinary yet. Kyle, you've talked about this season, uh, you've improved in pass pro uh, and the different things on the offensive line that's, that's maybe progressed. But with some of these guys maybe being held out due to injuries or whatever, do you feel like you're able to have enough bodies to be able to still not have a drop-off, or, or will there be somewhat of a drop-off there? Well, you're, you're always better off with your best five guys, and so that's uh, not going to be the case this week. But uh, if you're out there, you got to get the job done, and we feel... You know, we've been talking about the depth of the O line all fall camp and ever since last spring, and so fortunately, that's uh, you know that that depth is going to help us in this game here because we're going to need to draw upon that. And so uh, we feel like we'll be in in good shape. And and like I said, some at some point in the last couple of weeks, we've got 10, 11 guys that we think are are really good players and, and ready to play in the Pac-12. Now, not all 10, 11 of those guys are, are available this week, and so that's the challenge. But uh, we've got enough and. And uh, we should be fine. Is there any extra difficulty to playing against a team like Weber State where you know so much of the coaching staff, guys who came through this program? We just found out Gary's a volunteer assistant on that staff now. Uh, is it any harder or is it easier to play a team like that because, you know, it's friendly and good sportsmanship and all that? You know, I would say that, that in the game itself, really no effect, not, not a non-factor. Uh, but you're right, we do have a lot of common ground uh, between the two teams. Uh, and a lot of players or guys that either coach or played here are, are at Weber right now. So so I'm looking forward to seeing those guys, you know, Robert Conley and 
Joe Dale and the guys that haven't seen for quite a while. And it's always good to see Jay. And you mentioned Gary will be there now. And so uh, I would say that uh, no effect on the game, but going to be good to see those guys. Have you guys talked about um, ways that you guys are going to honor Ty, Ty Jordan this year? Yeah, we have. And that's uh, there, there's several ways. And you'll see him as the season unfolds. We'll have the uh, recipient, or the not the recipient, but the uh, representative of the Ty Jordan Scholarship will be announced this week. Uh, and so we've got uh, quite a few things. And, and uh, I don't want to let any... You know the marketing will handle the the in-game stuff, and and uh, there but there will be several ways that we uh, recognize Ty and and uh, honor him this season. You said uh, Bryson Barnes will be QB three. Where where does Peter Costelli fit into to kind of your your plans right now? Peter's done a great job uh, since he got on campus last spring, and uh, if we have the opportunity to redshirt him this year you know that's something that we're, we'll be looking at because we've got uh, you know the quarterback room is pretty solid uh, that could change due to circumstances but but if everything goes status quo then uh, it's a possibility that uh, Peter would be a, a redshirt candidate this year is there a specific uh, part of the team that you feel better about than you thought you would at the end of fall camp where you might be further ahead going into the season uh, no, I don't think there's been any uh, surprises either way. I think things have uh, progressed and, and unfolded about how we had thought and, and the players that I think one thing that's going to be for certain is the transfer portal players are going to be instrumental in, in, in what we do this year. You know, Theo Howard has proven to be a, a very good addition. Obviously, Charlie Brewer, the two backs. Uh, you know, so those seven or eight transfer portal guys we think are going to be uh, very impactful for us. Coach, whether it's fair or not, leading into a Utah football season, we always assume the defense is going to be solid, the run game is going to be solid, but that the throw game will be the question. You just mentioned Theo Howard, you know, adding a weapon there. Britton Covey, we hope, is healthy, but are you comfortable with what you saw in fall camp that you will be able to pass at the clip that you think is necessary to win Pac-12 football games? We feel we're in a good place in that regard, and, and uh, of course, the the uh, proof will be, you know, what happens in the game and see where we're at. And, and uh, But we know that we need to throw the ball more efficiently than we have in order to take that next step. And we've worked hard towards that end. And uh, we'll hopefully start to see some of that manifest on uh, Thursday night. Uh, Devon Bailey was a welcome surprise in spring. Where do you expect his production to be after seeing what he did in fall camp? He's had an excellent fall camp, and uh, he's a – Big athletic receiver, six foot four, probably six four and a half, uh, about two hundred and five pounds, and runs a four five, and is very acrobatic, you know, can body control, and so we expect him to be one of our primary receivers. We got four or five of those guys; they're going to be the primary targets, and and he's one of them. All right, there is Kyle Whittingham. When we come back, we'll hear from BYU's Kalani Sataki. Stay with us, DJ and PK, ninety seven five at twelve eighty the zone. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes get set for an in-state showdown against Weber State at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Catch the Ute pregame show Thursday at 4, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 12.80 The Zone. All right, we're hearing from the coaches here in the 6 o'clock hour. Uh, Blake Anderson, Aggie coach, Kyle Winningham, the U coach, and now the Cougar coach, Kalani Sataki, who I think has the most interesting game of the week. Obviously, the huge should blow out Weber State. I mean, that's to the point that Vegas doesn't even want to provide lines when a Pac-12 school plays a big sky school. You know, it's a different level, and you got 22 more scholarships to work with, and so they just you know, they don't even mess with it. And Utah State's a big underdog. You got a new head coach. You're on the road. You're a Mountain West school coming off a bad year, going to a, a Pac-12 school. Maybe the Aggies pull off something spectacular. I wouldn't think they would. If they do, good for them. Uh, it would be a great win if they did. For BYU, interesting, right? Five games against the Pac-12. They get Arizona. It looks like the easiest of the five games. It's a team they've had success against the Kalani Sataki era, a team that Kalani's beaten. And you would think, and, and this is why BYU is a double-digit favorite, 11 points last I saw, um, you would think they would handle it. But it's still the most interesting game of the week. So here's Kalani as his Cougars get ready for Arizona in Las Vegas on the neutral field Saturday night. Here is the head coach. Uh, just really excited about this week, game week. Um, looking forward to the matchup with Arizona and Las Vegas. And uh, you know, I know they'll be ready to play and hoping we can get our guys ready for, uh, you know, perform at our best and see what happens at the end of it. But uh, looking forward to the uh, the season starting. I know we had some football over the weekend and I'm really excited that, uh, you know, our, our guys have that opportunity to go out and play um, against a really good opponent like Arizona and really well coached team. I know a lot of coaches on that staff and so I know they're familiar with BYU so it won't be a, a huge surprise for them. Uh, we're, we're expecting a, a lot of different things and and then again, you know, there's not much to go off of because it's the staff that uh, Jed Fish put together. It's a really good staff that's put together it has tons of experience from a lot of different places so uh, really have to be on top of our game to be ready for that matchup, but looking forward to it. All right, we'll take questions. Jared, go ahead. Hey, Kalani, I wanted to ask you about the challenge of preparing this year compared to other years because a lot of the teams you're facing played very limited games last year. The As you mentioned before, the you know coaching changes, player personnel was very different. What's that like? as you try and prepare for the season? Yeah, I mean, you have to just go back and look at, at all the different places that they've been. Um, you know, I, and, and that's watching a lot of NFL film and a lot, watching a lot of different uh, programs, so um, college football programs. So I, I think that uh, – I think there's some similarities, but there's definitely some things that are, that are different. And then you look at the personnel that they have. They're, they have a good number of uh, new players coming in uh, to – complement the guys that they have on the town they have already on the team. So uh, a lot of different things. And then COVID year last year just caused the, um, I mean, you never know how well a team was prepared because the depth was always um, something that with testing and all that. You just never knew um, if they're ever, no one was at full strength, but you, you know that teams are going to be a lot better than what we saw on film last year. All right, Mitch and then Jason. Yeah, Kalani, uh, how, how motivated is your team to, to prove that, that last year's success wasn't just a one-hit wonder? They're worried about last year. We're going on this year right now. And you, know, you look at, I think the guys feel really comfortable with the scheme being in, in this. I mean, having the carryover that we had with A-Rod and, and not really having that much shakeup on the staff, I think has been really key for our players. So I'm um, looking forward to 
you know, seeing this, this, the new players get, get their opportunities, specifically the, the quarterback, you know, with Zach being gone, see what Jaron can get done. But uh, I, I really feel good about the rest of the group. I, I don't think there's anything to prove uh, from last year. We've moved on to this year already, and guys just focusing on trying to perform at their best against Arizona. That's, that's the focus. And what are you most excited about for Saturday night? And maybe what's still possibly keeping you up at night as the, as the season opener builds up? I'm excited about the game. Get the fans there. That's, that's, uh, we just really missed that last year. So having the band be there at the games and having the fans and having the, uh, the opponents have their fans, it's going to be a lot of fun just to have that, that, uh, that feeling of, of being in the game and, and just those, the surrounding parts of it. So that, that's, that's the exciting part for me. Um, what keeps me up, man, that, that's just, that's just being a college football coach. You have to be worried about every little thing, but I'm, it's not a bother for me. I, I like that kind of stress. Kalani, I wanted to ask you about the fans. Just, um, what do you anticipate in terms of that kind of atmosphere? You're in an NFL stadium. It's going to be a predominantly BYU crowd. What do you expect from that atmosphere in the season opener? Well, we got to do our part to, to get that place rocking. So, uh, you know, we, we have to make plays and, and uh, do whatever we can to entertain our fans. And, and but uh, I think, you know, approaching the game with, with a huge sense of uh, appreciation that we get to play and represent. And then, uh, you know, I'll be able to share that field with Arizona. They're, they're a good program with a great coaching staff and, and great talent on their team. So uh, just looking forward to the overall game. And I'm, I'm just really appreciative that we have this opportunity. AJ and then Jared. Kalani, how, how have the players responded since the announcement of the starting quarterback? And, and are you happy with that response? Yeah, they've been great. I mean, I think there's a lot of confidence in all of our quarterbacks and then, uh, you know, the response has been awesome. Kalani, we talked about, you know, the impact last year had on the field, but I know for a lot of people I, I've talked to at college, the academics last year were an interesting challenge. How have you tried to address that and looked at that to make sure everyone's eligible? There's always rumors flying that, hey, maybe somebody's going to miss a game for academic reasons. How, how do you kind of look at that and, 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 and try and take care of those things? Well, everybody on our depth chart is cleared, ready to play. So that's, uh, you know, when you're dealing with academics or injury, that's part of college football. That's part of, of getting a depth chart ready and getting a program ready. And, you know, we, we've been pretty fortunate with only um, one setback in as far as a season-ending injury um, this fall camp. And so uh, we've got guys get banged up because we run a physical program with a lot of 11-on-11 football. And so uh, we're going to have some guys that are banged up, and, but everybody on that depth chart is expected to participate and can contribute to the game. Okay, Mitch and then Jake. Well, I wanted to ask you about Pukunakua. Uh, you noted earlier in fall camp that you're bringing him along slowly. Do you expect him to be ready to go for, for Saturday? Yep. And then also uh, wanted to ask you too, um, you know, when you kind of noted, mentioned this a little bit earlier, but when preparing for an opponent that features a first-time head coach who has a lot of ties to the NFL, did, did, you, did you and your staff in the offseason dive into a lot of those NFL stops that Fish and his staff 
had to kind of maybe pick up some of those tendencies? Yeah, you, you have to, if you're going to do your, your, your part at the research and um, you have to look into those things. So, I mean, we know a lot of guys on that staff, you know, that, um, you know, there's some guys like Paul Paul has been at Washington. There's guys like Dwayne Walker's he, he's, he's not new to BYU. That guy was coaching here when I was a freshman. So it's a lot of guys on that staff that have tons of experience and have been a lot of different places. So you can't just overlook some things. I mean, I, I know the receivers coach, uh, Casey, is a guy that I, I coached with. He was a GA when I was with, with him at Oregon State. I've known Jimmy Doherty for a long time, too, seen things that he's done. So Brendan Carroll and all those guys have uh, extensive backgrounds and uh, a lot of experiences. So you, you have to do your part, which is prepare and sometimes it's over preparing, but that's just the, the job. I'd rather be that way than not know what's going to happen. Thanks. Kalani, the nickname uh, for Don Brown is Dr. Blitz. Are you expecting him to really come after your revamped offensive line? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's part of the game. That's Defenses are allowed to do that, and, you know, we have to be ready to, to give him an answer. So uh, that's the whole strategy of the game is to figure things out and see what they're, what they're willing to risk and what they're willing to give up and then, uh, you know, see what we can do to match up with them. I mean, I, that's... I, I can't predict what they're going to do on, on defense. I know what we can do on offense and defense and then figure out if, if they're ready for, for our stuff. But um, there's a lot of things that that staff can do that can, they can throw at us. And we spent a good portion of um, spring ball and then even going into camp with the mindset that we got to take a look at all these different offenses and defenses because that's something that we're going to see. And it, it's, there's a lot of carryover to some of the things that we're going to see throughout the season. So it's a good way to get our guys prepped. Do you enjoy playing games in NFL stadiums like Allegiant Stadium they'll be playing in on Saturday? Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I, just having the guys um, watch games I mean, on, on Sundays and, and seeing uh, – that type of field and the environment and those type of stadiums. I think it's, it's a, it's a cool feeling for the, for the players more than anything, but I just like, I like playing football, man. And then anytime we can get, get it where it's back to normal with fans there um, and, and people cheering, that's going to be a lot of fun. So I think, I think for us, we want our guys to visualize themselves playing in the NFL and uh, what better way to do it than to actually be in in a venue that has NFL games. Hey, Bryce, and then Jared. Kalani, you had mentioned that um, you only had one season ended injury during camp. Is there any other, like, nagging injuries that they may not be ready for on Saturday? The question I barely hear is about nagging injuries. Now, is there anyone that may not be ready for to play on Saturday because maybe just, like, a minor injury? Yeah, like I said before, everybody on the depth chart, I, I expect to play. So if they're not on the depth chart, then they're probably got some nagging injuries. But it's football. The nagging injury is part of the game. I mean, there's a difference between uh, hurt and injured. So, uh, you know, if they're injured, they're not able to perform. Uh, hurt, they just got to get over it and, and, and deal with some of the pain. And uh, nobody's going to be at 100% during during football season. That just happens. And when you had, go through a physical camp like we did, uh, we're hoping to get, get the, all these guys back to as much as 100% as they can. I think we've done a great job at, at uh, getting them ready and giving them enough uh, enough in, intensity and then uh, trying to get them real back so we can get 
be 100% for the game. So um, I don't know if you're asking me a specific question, I can tell you, but right now we're expecting all these guys to participate. Hey, Jared and then Jay. Sorry. Oh, you're good. Kalani, one of the things you've talked about ever since you arrived is the desire to have the depth to be able to compete week in, week out. How, what would it mean this year if you're able to have success and, and kind of a, a, to you as far as achieving that goal to, to being able to compete with anybody on depth wise, you know, no matter who you're playing? I mean, I think getting depth is, is part of the job, but I don't know if you want to depend on it. You know, the, we would love to have all the starters stay the entire time. That, that That's that's the key. But, um, you know, but if if something happens or if we have more guys that can participate, that'll help us give our better chance of winning. So, um, yeah, I, I'd like to keep our guys healthy, but, but you know, knowing this game, you're going to rely on some depth. And, and if you can get the drop-off to not be uh, a huge uh, drop-off from one to two to even three, then you're, you're pretty much in a good spot. And so hopefully we, we're, we're there. Only one way to test it, and that's get on the field and and uh, to go against an opponent. So that's so far playing each other. We feel good about it, and now we'll test it out. Bonnie, we just got our first look at the depth chart. Um, looks like there are very few ores on there, so it's pretty solid. Um, any guys kind of jump out through fall camp that kind of made their way onto the depth chart that surprised you or any of the coaches? Not a lot of surprises. I mean, I, these are guys that that we knew would be in the mix. Um, you know, there's, there's a few ores in there, but we feel good about – the, the guys that are going to gonna play. And so I, I'm not, I don't know if the oars are, are the, if that's a good thing for you that there's less than before, but um, for, for us, it, it just, we know we have a bunch of guys that can play um, only 11 at a time. So we'll see, we'll see what happens, but uh, I don't know if I can really name one or two guys that stand out the most. I just, I just like that the guys have all improved and, 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 um, I think maybe you guys could probably tell me if there's some, a surprising name out there, but uh, I, I give all these guys a chance to make plays and to give them a chance to earn a starting spot. Hey, Mitch, go ahead. Yeah, Kalani, just to kind of build off the, the depth chart conversation, we asked a lot during camp about the safety position, and we see that uh, Malik Moore, Chaz Ayu, uh, sitting atop uh, that first string unit. Uh, what did they do in, in camp that you liked that, that failed that, they wanted it to be those starters in those roles. Yeah, I mean, they have great instincts. They practice really well and made a lot of plays. So uh, we feel really good about the, those guys leading the way in the, in the secondary. We feel really good about the corners and feel good about the depth of both both corners and safety spots. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how, how it goes. But I, for the most part, I have a lot of confidence in those two starters for us at safety. And, and the guys that are, are behind them, I feel confident with them be on the field as well so um i've said i've said that about that's there's not one position on here where i don't feel confident with the with the, with the players and the, and the talent there so we'll just have to put it to the test and, and all t- all 10 guys on the offensive line that are on the depth chart will they be on the the, the travel roster I, I assume then for to this week to arizona on um, uh, what was the all 10 guys in the whole line yeah there's there's 10 players listed on the yeah. line, so all 10 will they be traveling yeah, and then we'll probably take a couple more. So we just, you know, we, we feel good about the 12, 12 guys traveling at O-line. 
All right, there's Kalani Sataki. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag college football. We're excited to show people what we got, man. It's going to be dope. <laughs> no, I'm excited. Our, our defensive line is super excited. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not like, you know, Amish people. We, we read the internet and stuff sometimes. Our D-line gets really insulted by some of this stuff, bro. Like, I think all of us are just itching to get at it, bro. And so, um, we're ready. <laughs> that is BYU's defensive lineman, Uriah Leotow. How'd I do? Uriah Leotow, but good job. And he's ready, PK. He's not like the Amish people. He reads the internet. He's been insulted. He's ready to beat somebody up on a football field. Well, uh, I don't know anything about the uh, Amish people reading the internet, but what I do know is that DJ and PK next year have first dibs on our BYU player that can cash in on the NIL <laughs> as far as uh, interviews. Name, image, and likeness. Paid interview. Weekly appearance. Oh, Uriah is kind of a senior, so that might be tough to do. Oh. Is he a fifth year or sixth year? He's Maybe a super. He se- back. He's a super oh. senior. It's all over, huh? Doggone it! Hurricane Ida forcing the venue change for Tulane and Oklahoma. They were going to play that game in New Orleans. Now they're going to go to Norman, Oklahoma, which got to be a big old downer for them. That would have. Been a pretty good crowd. Remember when BYU went down there and it looked like there were 15,000 people there and looked like two-thirds of them were rooting for BYU. So, disappointment for the Green Wave. Yeah, this Hurricane Ida obviously has just wreaked havoc on the area. It must be tough to live there, man. You know it's coming. You just don't know when it's coming. Is it this year? Is it next year? I couldn't imagine. I've been there several times for work, and it's a fun place and all this stuff, but uh, these things that come through, and my wife, uh, my yeah, my wife too. But my uh, two sisters and I have been having a little bit of a, a chuckle over Ida because she was a little hurricane. That was my mother's name. And so when I say that uh, Ida canceled the Cardinals preseason game, uh, we all we chuckled. But at the same time, we know it's a very serious situation. And man, seems, I know it's it's been several years that BYU couldn't play LSU there, but it seems like it was last year. Number of programs announced starting quarterbacks. Alabama tab sophomore Bryce Young. Michigan installed junior Cade McNamara. Texas will start freshman Hudson Card. And after listening to you repeatedly list all the quarterbacks from Arizona, I did Google all those guys to see if any of them were Arizona guys. And although they weren't, two of the three are out of the Pac-12 footprint. Guys who you would think in the olden times, in the before times, would have been Pac-12 quarterbacks. But now uh, Bryce Young is a Southern California guy. He went to Matter Day High School, which has produced a lot of USC quarterbacks. And Michigan's Cade McNamara, he's a Nevada guy, so that's still Pac-12 footprint. The kid at Texas, Hudson Card, he's a Texas kid, so Texas recruiting out of their own backyard there. But, well, yeah, Bryce Young, it's been well known for a good long while, the one he committed. Yep. So a couple years back that he is a Oops. Uh, <laughs> a player who normally goes to USC. And and the same thing with the Clemson quarterback. 
Louis Utulele, whoever you say it, uh, that's uh, both of those guys. The two premier programs on that side of the country will have our guys, so to speak. They are California guys all the way. Yeah, absolutely. A player of his stature. Uh, you hear about these guys when they're sophomores and juniors in high school. SEC teams announced that a team that can't play will, uh, because of COVID, injuries, or other reasons, will forfeit and have a loss in the conference standings. The opponent will get the win if they're ready. However, the SEC has announced they are ready to declare it a dual forfeit if neither team can take the field and give both teams losses. I don't think we've seen that before. That would be new. Uh, unless Alabama has multiple ones, then we'll rearrange <laughs> and then we'll the rules. change the rules the way the Big Ten did for Ohio State last year. Right, exactly. Say, there's yeah. a certain team in the Big Ten who got the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> These job. are rules, but if common sense and the big dog need a little help, we're willing to yeah. adjust. Yeah. Vanderbilt would like an accommodation. Hey, Vanderbilt, go away. Sorry. Well, Commodores. we'll do it in baseball for you. Oh, yeah, sure, but not in football. No. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I think what's more realistic is once this roster gets reduced, I, I kind of see these guys Wednesday taking some time away. A lot of these guys will head back to where they're from originally, maybe. And then me on Wednesday telling them, hey, I'll see you guys Sunday night, and here's where we're going to be. We just got to fill in that last blank. But I, I don't see that realistically being uh, in New Orleans. That's Sean Payton, the Saints coach, back to Hurricane Ida and all the disruption, and this is just the sports disruption. If you saw the the video out of there, I guess the good news is there was less flooding than we remember from Katrina, but there's a lot of wind damage and all that, which is why he says realistically not in New Orleans. Uh, good news for the Saints was the Superdome didn't have any major damage, so they're hoping that the Packers-Saints game in New Orleans can go off as scheduled on September 12, but we're sitting here on August 31st, so there's still time to figure that out. There is, yeah. Saints rookie quarterback Trey Lance is expected to miss That's about a week. 49ers rookie Excuse quarterback. Me. San Francisco 49ers quarterback Trey Lance is expected to miss about a week with what Coach Kyle Shanahan called a small chip in a finger on his right hand, which is obviously his throwing hand. Lance suffered the injury with 15 seconds left in the first half of Sunday's preseason finale against the Raiders. A small chip. That sounds incredibly painful. He hit a I helmet no idea. on a th- follow-through on a throw. Yeah, that no, no, no. that doesn't well, sound. Well, five, five days is that what you said, or a week? A week. Well, I mean, they got a week. They got two weeks, right? Yeah, you got two weeks to get ready, so he could still go in the opener. NFL Players Association has accepted the NFL's proposal. They're going to increase COVID testing for fully vaccinated players because of the Delta surge here. So once every seven days instead of once every fourteen, and the Colts had to put three guys on the COVID list. The team announced uh, it's not that they all have it. Some have been exposed to it, but they've also got a lot of unvaccinated players. So Carson Wentz, the big name, but their Pro Bowl center, Ryan Kelly, too. But as you pointed out, PK, when they redid that exhibition schedule, they what they did is give themselves more time. Nobody was playing in that fourth game. They were sitting all the starters, so there's just no games on that weekend. And they got two weeks to get things in order now before the season opener. Yeah, today's cut down day, too. Uh, they have to, what is it, 53 they have to get yep, down to? So correct. a lot of locals are crossing their fingers and doing whatever. Although Trevor Riley told us a story one time when you were gone that, you know, because the thing got pushed back, as you say, with a reduction of the 4-3. Uh, to three. It used to be the Labor Day weekend, and 
he went to bed thinking he was on the team because the cutdown day had come and gone. But he got called in the next day uh, because they picked up somebody who was cut from another team. And Trevor got bounced. So life in the NFL. Uh, we wish all those kids uh, a lot of luck in making the team. Get, get as I think uh, Trevor was saying, it's like 37, 38 games. you got to be on the active roster or something to be able to get your first pension and all that stuff. And, you know, that, that's real important. Can you make it to the pension number? Goal yeah. number one. Get to the, right. you got to get it, be on the roster for enough games to qualify for that pension. Right. The active roster, yeah. Yes. Right. And obviously a lot of these guys will hear their names as they get cut, but then they'll get scooped up for practice squads in the next 24 to 48 hours. Which squads are expanded too, now. Which gives you to a what? shot at getting to an active roster when there's injuries. I believe it's 15 or 16 players now in those practice squads. Okay, because it was 10. Yeah, so they've expanded and, it. And you're on that team, you get paid, but uh, you're basically a free agent too. If some of the team picks you up, they have to put you on the active roster, not on their practice squad. Correct. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. 2-1. Swing and a shot. Screaming down the left field line. And gone! The fifth multiple homer game this season for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Oh, Tony! Deep and high and gone! Oh, 42 is a bomb to right! The pitch. 3-1 is swung on, hit well to left. Back it goes. It is gone. A two-run home run for Corey Seager to the opposite field. And the Dodgers lead it 5 to nothing. Dodgers hold on to win 5-3. They beat the Braves, and they pick up a game on the first-place Giants who lose to the Brewers 3-1. Corbin Burns striking out nine Giants. A strong performance there. And PK, if there's one time not to go to the bathroom or the concession stand, it's when Shohei Otani is hitting. You can just hear the excitement, not just the announcers, but the crowd behind him. His 42nd home run, a majestic shot, and the Angels beat the Yankees 8-7. to Well, don't hashtag at me, but I'm calling Shohei Otani the best Japanese home run hitter to play in the majors. Well, who are you going to go with? Before Shohei. And somebody who hasn't been born yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that game I had on the baseball network and ESPN of cutting back and forth because the NL has got uh, four teams that are really, really good going after each other, Dodgers and Braves, and then the Giants-Brewers. The, at some combination, I wouldn't be surprised if both those teams played uh, both of those teams and all that stuff. From as the long NL as West. you don't have anything happen crazy in the wild card game, yes, those would be yeah. the playoff matchups. I mean, they're, they're the really good. Come back, yeah. And so I was bouncing back and forth, and then the Yankees uh, with the Angels, they're doing cut-ins, so Hatani with that bomb down the line. Uh, Stanton hitting one off the rocks, and it just amazes me, man. I get it in some of these other places, but all the way out in California, when Stanton at the time hit that bomb, they got that rock formation out there in center field. We've all seen it. Uh, they panned the crowd. It seemed like there were 45,000 Yankee fans there. <laughs> it's amazing. There are New Yorkers everywhere. I know, but, man, that's as far as you can be away. And uh, they're going nutso, and the Angels, uh, that, was, that was a game. A lot of home runs. The Dodgers and Braves, they, they, all their runs came on home runs, I think. And the Dodgers scored all of theirs in the first three innings. And 
and then you get the pitching duel with the Braves or the Giants and the Brewers. So it's getting down to that time, man, where you're starting to see, okay, everybody's focused in on what's going on. And, and the Phillies do still have a chance. Bryce Harper. They do. Having, uh, he homered. Have, yeah, pretty good season. MVP candidate. John Lester left for dead. Cardinals pick him up, and he allows one hit in six-plus innings. Yep. Cardinals beat the Reds 3-1, to one, and the Padres got a homer for, from Fernando Tatis Jr. to beat the Diamondbacks 7-5, to five, so the Padres are a half game behind the Reds in the wild card race. And, yeah, I was uh, watching that game, too, and I told my wife, she uh, I, I get to watch television upstairs until 8 o'clock, and then she takes over the TV and banishes me to the basement. <laughs> so it was in the first inning, so it was leading up to 8 o'clock. And two outs, they, the Diamondbacks pick off the runner uh, off first base, but they don't complete the ploy to get him out at second. And I said to her, up. Oh, Better walk fat Tatis. Don't give him anything to hit. Sure enough, they give him something to hit. Two nothing. <laughs> How come you can manage the game from right, San and Utah? This, so, <laughs> and you got a million. I mean, you got bench coaches now. You got people on computers yeah. sitting upstairs calling down, telling managers what to do, and they can't figure that out. That's old. And school. I tell her, I said, you got Hosmer coming up next. I got a left-handed pitcher, this Gilbert. He's the one who got lucky, pitched the no hitter against them the last time he faced them. And you got Hosmer coming up next, his left-handed hitter. I said, no, don't give him anything to hit. You don't have to walk him, but just do the unintentional, intentional walk if you don't want to literally have him jog down to first base because they don't do the uh, uh, catcher stands up with the right arm extended anymore. They just let him go down to try to shave 30 seconds off a game. Um, well, I'm fine with it. And so they pitch to him. And I said, that was just ridiculous. And then Hosmer comes up and he strikes out. I, said, yeah, I told you ahead of time. Why in the world to do that? It made no sense. None at all. So, Zippo. Uh, the good thing for the Yankees, despite that loss to the Angels, is the Red Sox lost too. Although the Rays beat them, so the Yankees give up a game to uh, to Tampa in the division race. Tampa, those seven up on the Yankees, and the Yankees are only two in front of the Red Sox. So I think there's a little more urgency with Boston there. All right, the Bees lose to Tacoma 10-5. to They'll try to avoid the series sweep tonight at 8 o'clock. You can listen to the game on the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, that is what is trending. Those are the headlines, and they are brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. No job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, college football. For you Ute fans, Frank Dolce at 8 o'clock. He's our Utah football insider, analyst for the Zone Sports Network. He'll join us all season long. Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver, will be here at 830. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30, presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON, on your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. 975-1280 the zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK in the morning, proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. All right, question of the day. We got, we got multiple questions, but here's one for you. Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov 
gleefully tweeted out that the BYU-Arizona game has already sold 57,000 tickets. Who is doing the buying? You think he was happy about tweeting that out after that uh, tiny crowd at the Rose Bowl on, uh, on oh. Saturday afternoon? Like, hey, man, we need, we need some good news on the attendance front because that was pretty close to nobody showing up for that game. Yeah, and the Rose Bowl obviously is so huge. It really shows and it they off. they do those yeah. panoramic shots. It looks even emptier than it really is because, uh, man, that's a great, that was a great place to be last Saturday afternoon if you wanted to practice social distancing. You're funny you should mention that, PK. I have a friend from uh, my UC Santa Barbara days who is a, uh, was a longtime UCLA season ticket holder, and he moved to New York and took a job there, and he was back there for, I don't know, five or six years, whatever it was, and he just moved back to Los Angeles. And I texted him. I was watching the game, and whenever I watch UCLA, I think of him. He's a huge Bruin honk. And, uh, and I texted him. I said, are you watching this? Are you actually at this game? And he texts back, I'm at the 45-yard line, and we are all by ourselves. <laughs> totally social distanced at the 45-yard line. He also said he's not going. He referred to it as the uh, COVID bowl with LSU. He didn't want any part of that. Well, there'll be a much better crowd, obviously. UCLA fans will show, and Bruin, or, uh, LSU fans will be. There'll be a lot of purple and gold. You know, I think it was way hot, too. And it was. It was an opponent that they were probably going to win, but still, it's the first game of the year. It's like baseball. You could be the crappiest team, and they always seem to sell out when you have your first home game, particularly if it's literally the first game of the season. And then the next night, the tenants drops off. But you would think the first game of the season, and expectations clearly are the highest they've been under Chip Kelly. We'll see how good they are. I think they're going to be decent, and they're going to be tough to beat. I uh, don't know what that's going to translate to the amount of wins, but they're this is the best team he's had, which naturally should be the case, or else it'll be the last team that he has, <laughs> either way. So, yeah, I, and I was thinking about this. Well, I'm thinking, dude, BYU owns Vegas. And I know Dave McCann has a story about that in the, in the uh, Deseret News that I was reading this morning and preparing for the show uh, about that. And Dave obviously has the longtime Vegas ties there, having worked there for many years and knows – very many people and we know we had on mark anderson last week uh, and he is a longtime reporter sports reporter for the review journal speaking how and uh, when we say it we're homers but he said it what, we, what we've been saying for years is that byu saved the vegas bowl from extinction uh way back when when they went there what was it five times in a row we know that to be true we know that byu fans flood vegas when byu plays particularly byu football i've seen it in byu basketball over the years having covered so many whack and mountain west basketball tournaments so you'd have to think come on george by george you know darn well why are you saying that particularly because he worked in vegas (laughs) he knows and so his job his job is to sell the pac-12 So if there's a Pac-12 team playing in a venue where he wants to put a lot more Pac-12 teams, he's going to sell it. So he's pumped. 57,000 tickets. Now, if I had to guess, and this is purely a guess, I haven't haven't talked to anyone who would have any knowledge of the numbers, but I was at that the first of those five Vegas Bowls, and you were there. Well, you may have been at all of them. You were at most of them. them. You were at all of them. I knew you were at most of them. Uh, That BYU-Cal game, there had to be twenty five or 30,000 BYU fans in a crowd of 40. And so looking at this number, 57, I assume right away BYU's going to have 30,000 fans there. If Arizona has 20, that would be a strong showing. And you got to figure there's 7,000 tickets out to, uh, 
casinos and local Vegas businesses and, you know, all that kind of stuff. There'll be 7,000 rando, either business opportunities, call it random college football fans, whatever. There'll be a few of those. Vegas <laughs> Vegas has a different model for selling tickets that most, most towns don't have. So, Well, I think what you'll get, too, is an opportunity for Vegas folks just to see the stadium. Right, because yeah. Because they didn't, they didn't last yeah. year. And they've had some concerts. I understand Guns N' Roses was there uh, last weekend. I know some people from around here, uh, some casual friends of mine, went down and uh, participated. And I've seen plenty of people in uh, concerts. (laughs) There's one time, I think it was a Buffett, Jimmy Buffett concert. I don't remember specifically. I've seen several groups there over the years. And the people right next to me uh, were Utah people. And the show's over, and the guy says, uh, hey, can I get a picture with you? I said, yeah, I get a little sheepish on that, thinking, why the heck would you want a picture of me? But nevertheless. Because you're Patrick uh, Kinney and you're I PK, know. baby. Uh, it <laughs> doesn't resonate with me. It's but, awesome. <laughs> but uh, so we take the picture, and his wife took the picture of me, of the three of us, my wife and the other guy. And then afterward, my wife says, Boy, that was really stupid. He probably wanted his wife in the picture. Why didn't I take the picture? (laughs) (laughs) And I think, because she, you know, when I did Channel 2, she came down a couple times and we tried to pan the camera toward her. No, she was having none of that. stop, drop, and roll. (laughs) So we laughed about that on the whole way. Uh, We usually stay in St. George and we go to those concerts uh, to be closer to home. If the particular if they're a Saturday night, we laughed about it the whole way. That was so stupid of me. So the point being, there's a number of people that go down Vegas for a number of different reasons, whether it be gambling, whether it be shows, uh, trade shows, sporting events, whatever it is, golf. Uh, the list goes on and on as to why Utah people are heading down to Vegas. So I'm thinking Klyakov sounds like he's bragging about the Pac-12, but he ought to know that. I There's think it's going to be lot. two to one. Okay, yeah, I had three to two. I had, I had sixty percent. You're going sixty-seven percent. Yeah, I, I just got a text from somebody who's like, "It's going to be two to one in terms of BYU fan to Arizona fan disparity." Yeah, there you go. Because I think the Cougars held their own. I was there when they played in the Cardinal Stadium a few years back. That was Kalani's first game, was it not? If Correct. I remember yeah. correctly, twenty sixteen. And the nine-year-old Jake Elroy kicked that field goal to win? <laughs> the nine-year-old. <laughs> sure seemed like he was nine. There's no doubt about that. Awesome celebration, him hopping and skipping back to the bench, though, after that. Yeah, his Good. parents were there to drive him back to the hotel. <laughs> Green cleats and all. Hey. I remember asking him, how old are you, man? He looks so young. Jeez. And they held their own on that. And that, uh, obviously, the Valley is a hotbed of U of A people. Uh, as it would be uh, because of the, just the proximity, and it's close enough to drive up to Tucson, uh, certainly, and you can get back you know, at a somewhat reasonable hour or stay the night in Phoenix. So they held their own there. There was a fair amount of BYU fans. I can remember uh, standing outside, walking into the stadium, and I saw this little dinky car, and it was uh, had five BYU fans, and they had their windows down because they didn't have any air conditioning. And it's hot. It's really hot that time of year, this time of year. And I just laughed to myself, man, they should have air conditioning. If they drove from Utah all the way down, that would have been rough with the windows uh, having to been down. But there was a lot of BYU fans there, too. So here, and, and you know, I'm planning to cover the game for the station, and I'm going to go out 
uh, outside at halftime, and I expect to see at least 1,500 BYU fans in full regalia smoking. There it is. Hit it. Come on, Yach. Let's play the hits. <laughs> and it's Vegas, so you don't know what they're smoking. hey oh. <laughs> Those are close, BK. Come on now. Uh, it's supposed to be 102 degrees Saturday, so yeah, if you go outside for the uh, whatever it is, it's going to be hot. Yeah. But it could be much hotter, so I guess you take 102. I was uh, at yeah. six different uh, Las Vegas Bowls, okay? Uh-huh. And in 2009, I was at the uh, – the, I went out at halftime during the, 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 the game there, and there were – I counted exactly 24 fans in full BYU regalia out smoking cigarettes. I don't believe it. Well, that was after a satisfying 44-20 to 20 win over Oregon State. They were already in control at the half, so maybe that would explain it. Yeah, but was that the game that the win was howling like crazy? Was it yes. that? I think it was that game, It was the Oregon it? State game, yeah. Yeah, it almost blew the Hoff over when he sang the national anthem. <laughs> the Hoff. <laughs> and then came by in the press box. I was this close to the Hoff. Man, that, was, that was one of the highlights of my whole trip down there that and that one time well the cow game a couple of noted singers the lead singer from county crows and myself the two of us drove were on rode up the elevator from the ground level up to the press box area the lead singer the county crows look it up he's a cow fan and the two of us and we just looked at each other and we both smiled and pointed at each other and said yep and he pointed back and said yep too <laughs> Oh, man. So 57,000 tickets. The 21st night of September. Body to body to body to body. Now December brought a love we shared in September. You have the gift. So 57,000 tickets. Are there going to be enough walk-ups? Because there are BYU fans in St. George and Vegas, and they can drive up from L.A. and San Diego and Phoenix. That's just 8,000 more fans for a sellout. Is the place literally going to be packed? Or is this the kind of thing you don't really do a walk-up for the first game? If you're going, you've already bought your tickets. Because they're they're close. I don't know that they're going to sell it out, but I do know. I think they should... If I'm the Pac-12, uh, I try to get BYU every year there. And Just if I'm rotate Vegas, through different Pac-12 opponents? Vegas would absolutely love it, man. And depending on what happens with the Big 12, uh, actually, I, to me, if they go to the Big 12, I think that enhances BYU status, not decreases it, as opposed to being an independent, because then you bill it as Pac-12, Big 12, and, yeah, I mean, every year, those five years, the crowds were great for the Vegas Bowl, right? It's like, and, and they, they kept going to the Vegas Bowl. It was like the old days where they kept going, going to the, the Holiday, Holiday Bowl. Bowl. Right. Uh, and I don't, I'm sure the crowds were good there. I don't, you know, I don't even remember watching any of those games. They were. Uh, that this, would, Vegas would love to have it. They would love to have BYU there. And Vegas... The town itself produces a decent, for the size, a decent amount of high school players. Oh, and absolutely. He, yeah. And There's tons of Vegas guys playing college football. BYU, you want to continue to build your brand. I don't know that it would happen, but I think attendance-wise and all that early in the season, 
Yeah. I mean, Arizona's not good. It's a circumstantial situation that they end up being on a 12-game losing streak here. But they got Jed Fish, and he's got a breath of fresh air. Uh, We'll see what that means when they get out on the field. Uh, But, you know, you're probably not going to get an opponent on a longer losing streak. And you're still going to have 57,000 people there, uh, at least. That's pretty impressive. It's just that, to me, it's more evidence that the Cougars will come. If you play it, the Cougar fans will come. And I don't understand why people want to argue about that. It makes zero sense to me. They're there, and they will continue to be there, particularly if they have this season, which I think is such a pivotal season, because if they go... Have as they go nine and three, then that proves Kalani Sataki is building a program. And boy, if you give BYU fans any reason of optimism, they'll show up in troves. They some of them may be smoking, and some of them may be even having a you know, uh, hey, think about it, you know, alcohol. They're going to be there. Oh, now people are going to tweet that shot of people walking up the aisle wearing gear, holding two beers. Do we know? I mean, because uh, Mountain Dew kind of looks the same, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> I'm not a Mountain Dew guy, but... This does not look the same. Well... Mountain Dew it, looks like something else. <laughs> like what? Urine. There. I said it. Well, what does beer look like? Uh, a different color urine. Have you ever tried Coors? <laughs> Mountain Dew has that green shade to it. I was going to say, Mountain Dew's got like that fluorescent green yeah. to it. Ah, yeah. people are weighing in, PK. It's right. uh, Gabe, 57,000 fans, BYU. Our fan base is awesome. Last time we, Brooks says, last time we played Arizona in Phoenix, that was a home game for BYU. This should be even more so. The two-hour drive to Phoenix was just too far for Arizona fans, I guess. Mm, I don't remember it being overwhelming for the Cats. Maybe I'm misremembering sitting in a press box. And the the Cardinals press box, they have you way down in the corner. So you're looking like over to your left out on the field. So it wasn't uh, the traditional in the middle where you now get the, the vantage point. I think that's uh, how stadiums used to be designed. Now they're putting really expensive luxury suites at midfield. And the media can sit in the corner like you're in a baseball stadium. You know, one of the old multi-purpose stadiums. Dave says the Cougar Club sold their allotment in less than an hour. It's going to be a BYU home game down there. Well, I always felt it would be slanted. Well, when you've been to, if you went to a Vegas Bowl or if you went to a BYU UNLV game in the Mountain West, BYU fans were always there in droves. There was a game, Vegas had a decent team, and uh, BYU, I think, scored late. And I don't think it was to win the game, I think it was to put it away. I can't remember exactly, but it was. Um, uh, Doman running into the corner of the end zone. And, of course, he ran straight to a bunch of BYU fans who were celebrating because there were thousands of them there. You couldn't miss them. You can't miss them, especially when they're smoking and drinking beer. They really stand out. <laughs> or, or, or leaning over the field cheering. <laughs> Matthew says, yeah, Vegas, baby, the quorum of the 34,000. That has some spiritual meaning, the 34,000? No, that's going to be the number of BYU fans in attendance, I think he's predicting. 
Uh, let's see, 34. I'd probably go maybe a tad higher. 36, 38. A two to one would be 38 to 19, assuming there's no neutrals and that all the tickets that go to casinos have gone to BYU or Arizona fans. And I think there'll be some neutrals. I mean, some yeah. people are just going to show up because right. it's there. Take your kid. Yeah. You can probably get a cheaper seat to that game versus the Raiders. And the crowd is not going to be obnoxious. I mean, the, the the newest thing now is to get on social media and see the fighting in the stands. Oh, my gosh. All the time. Yes. And, and so you're just playing the odds, and it probably wouldn't be. It would be great if you um, didn't have your 7-year-old in the middle of a brawl. Yeah, and so you're probably going to have uh, a better chance not to be involved in that, particularly if you're sitting close to the BYU section, because I know there's some renegades, but... A lot of BYU fans obviously are not going to be intoxicated, but the but the uh, you know the pro sports they want to eliminate that. Uh, where's your thirteen dollars for your seven ounce beer, please? And you can have two of them, so that'll be twenty six dollars. Yes. Yeah, they say. Yeah, they I just saw one of those videos you were talking about. Like last week, there was Padre on Padre violence, and somebody like three rows up was shooting it. And guys were just swinging away, and people were clearing out. And that's a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Good grief, man. Last thing I need to do is have two guys behind me start brawling and just catch me with a straight fist. No thanks. Yeah, I once so. got kicked in the face at a concert as a residue of a brawl because they were ahead of me, you know, in the amphitheater-style seating, obviously. So there were two rows behind me, and it spilled right over, and the guy who was in the row right behind me ends up literally kicking me right in the jaw. Good times. Yeah. And and I was able then to get him in a full Nelson to pull him off uh, and try to restore some order. Not that I cared that these two ding-dongs were brawling. I just didn't want to be a part of it. All right, so now I guess we just watch this game and then we wait for uh, someone associated with uh, the Raiders or Allegiant Stadium to come, call Tom Homo and make the multi-year offer. And then Tom says, well, you'd be moving one of our home games. It has to come at a price, as you know. Because this was supposed to be a BYU home game, wasn't it? Wasn't that a three-game deal with one game in Phoenix and then a game in Arizona? A game in Tucson, a game in Provo? And I'm figuring it went from Provo to Las Vegas for a price. Uh, Yeah, I don't know about that. Because did they know at the time that the stadium was going to be built and the Raiders were going to be there? Yeah. I thought they did. They did. I thought they, they did? did. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember that. That um, all, all these deals were cut. This will be the Chargers' fifth year in LA. So it'll be the Raiders. I think the Raiders decided one year later to go to Vegas. Okay. So I think they've had four years to you know plan events and start scheduling stuff. Yeah. Well, there's all sorts of talk at Notre Dame. And that will not only be a sellout, it will be the most expensive game BYU fans have ever gone to. Right. <laughs> uh, as far as uh, that one, because Notre Dame can play anywhere. Yeah. They know they're going to sell 65,000 tickets, so they're going to price it like they're selling 65,000 right. I mean, tickets. Right. Whatever the capacity is, mm-hmm. that's what Notre Dame is going to do. Yeah. And particularly when they play away. Uh, from their usual places where they play. I mean, my goodness gracious, they've moved, Notre Dame fans. Yeah, they've moved Notre Dame. There's stuff to price it on. They've moved Notre Dame games to neutral sites before. And even in the West, because Notre Dame played Navy in uh, San Diego like five years ago. 
And so you you know you can look at what the secondary ticket market was charging then, because that gives you a real good gauge of what the value is and what mm-hmm. you really should be charging for those tickets. Yeah. So it, it, you're right; it'll be top dollar. <laughs> I wouldn't say even in the West. I would say especially in the West. Especially, you're right. But they've moved games to Texas. They played Army in San Antonio in the Alamo Dome one year. They've moved games to uh, Florida. I remember watching Notre Dame in the Citrus Bowl playing somebody one year. Right. So the, lo- the, the longer the distance away from South Bend, I think the more expensive it gets. Because there are people who don't get to see Notre Dame as often. Right. And then if you go to a city that people are like, oh, I'll spend a weekend in Vegas, absolutely. I mean, it's no surprise they went to Orlando. How many people had a side trip to Disney World? You know, so you turn it into an event, you turn it into a weekend, and you charge top dollar. And that's right. what's going to happen with that game. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, Utes, Frank Dolce, Utah Insider, is going to join us in 20 minutes. Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver, 830. Both guys are going to join us every week, all season long, right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The new look Aggies hit the road to take on Washington State to kick off the Blake Anderson era in Logan. Catch all the play-by-play action beginning with the pregame show at 8. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Football Friday, presented by Stonehaven Dental. At Stonehaven Dental, they say yes. Yes to free exams and x-rays for new patients and flexible appointments. Say yes to grand dental care. Visit StonehavenDental.com to schedule an appointment. DJ and PK, multiple questions of the day up on our Facebook page. Visit there, DJ and PK. The show never stops. Utah State quarterback Blake Anderson staying quiet on who his starting quarterback will be in Logan. Opting not to reveal the news. PK, how much of an upper hand can you get? I I wonder in Utah State if he's not revealing the news, in part because he wants to see both guys in the game so he makes sure he picks the right guy. But if you really 100% know who the guy is, is, it, is there really any advantage to this game of cat and mouse? Is there any really payoff to sitting guys? Or not sitting guys, but hiding who the guy is, who's sitting and who's starting? Yeah, but if Bob's doing doing it, why shouldn't I do it? Why give him an advantage? He's not giving me advantage because Rolovich is doing the same thing. You got the Guantanamo kid from uh, Tennessee and then the Delora. We saw him as a freshman. They ruled out Camp Cooper, reading from the Spokesman Review. Former Lehigh quarterback. Yeah, and so doesn't I mean, he's getting up there in eligibility-wise. It doesn't look like he's uh, on track to start any games there. Uh, so if Rolovich is doing it, why wouldn't I do it? I'm waiting for a coach to go the other way. Announce the starter and just lie about it and start the other guy. No, you can't do that. Okay, then play the other guy. <laughs> Cross yeah, him but- up. Okay, you can play them, but you, you can't. You don't want to get off. Uh, particularly, these the, both these guys are new. You don't want to get off so on a stretch of being a liar. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that doesn't work. Oh, the That's team would have to know wrong. it's coming. The team would have to know. Yeah, uh, they they want to play the cat and mouse game. Uh, so so be it. I, I think that when you're in both of these team situations, it's because Arizona, you know, Fish is an NFL guy most recently, and he announced that he's going to play uh, Plummer and Cruz, both of them. Uh, but you're not sure, you know, what order. 
But when you look at it and talking to the BYU coaches, they're thinking, all right, start who you start. Uh, we got to focus on ourselves, too. And particularly Arizona, uh, whether he announced it or not, uh, I don't know that it makes any difference from their game preparation. They've lost 12 games in a row. They've got to find a way to move the ball and worry about getting first downs and see how you go from there. So they got so much on the point I'm making is Arizona has so much on its plate if that uh, Kalani didn't want to announce that Jaron Hall, which was the obvious candidate and has been since spring ball, that he was going to be the starter and he wanted to play the cat and mouse game, cat and mouse game. If I'm Jed Fish, like uh, that's not, not, I mean, it's expression is it's the last thing you would care about. It wouldn't be the literally the last thing, but it's down on the list because if you're Arizona, you got so much, uh, uh, work to do to get your team to the level that you wanted. I don't know that you're even going to get there this year, right? You lost 12 in a row, so you got to completely worry about yourself. So I think you can go overboard on that, but for whatever reason, Blake Anderson wants to play this game, and he thinks it gives him a competitive advantage. And sometimes I guess, you know, maybe if you think it, it can actually happen. I, I just don't know that it's that big of a deal. It's like you take the, the golf the other day. I mean, Cantlay knew he was going to make it. Even when he missed it, he knew he was going to make it. And I don't think DeChambeau thought, "Mm, this is going to go in. He was thinking, I hope this is going to go in. But I don't think he knew this is going to go in. Whereas Cantlay knew this thing is going down. I mean, unless it's, you know, 85 feet with four breaks or something ridiculous. But anything within reason, this thing's going down. So I don't know that if a coach can say, we're going to go with this guy and this is going to be our guy, that that really is going to be a difference maker as opposed to, man, we're going to really just trick these guys. And you can't control what the other guy is. This isn't an individual sport. Like in golf, watching those two guys putt, you could feel it watching it just looking through the television. DeChambeau wasn't sure, and Cantlay was. I don't know as a coach you can transfer that to a player, and you can say, well, if we don't name it, this is going to give us a huge advantage. In this era where the Power Five teams, they all have not just the full complement of coaches, but they got all these analysts, and they got the whole offseason for the opener. I'm figuring Arizona already saw every snap that Hall and Romney have taken in games. They found him. And it was a couple years ago or whatever. They found him. They know everything about both quarterbacks long before they got to game week. They're ready to go. I guess the guys who really, I get it, they don't announce it, are the guys who are going to play too. If you are going to play too, I guess it makes more sense. But they're probably prepped for the two, so I just still don't see what it what advantage you get. I just think in the first game, man, you've got to be worried about yourself so, so much because yeah. you haven't taken the field with this group. There's no team, maybe maybe there is one, but I doubt there's any many teams that return all 22 guys from one year to the next. So, and it's the first game, you're not in college or the pro where you have preseason or you don't even have, you know, you bring in another local team or a regional team and you practice against each other before it ends up you have to stop it because of fighting. But uh, so you you don't you don't even have that. It's just the same dudes going at each other for 3 weeks and really for 6 weeks because you count the 3 weeks of spring ball too. So it's something that you've got to see what you're about. And then if you're a good enough coach and you see what the other team's about, you ought to be able to make the adjustment anyway. 
All right, DJ and PK, we're taking a break. When we come back, Frank Dolce, Utah Insider, analyst for the Zone Sports Network, joins us next. Dylan Cauley, former BYU wide receiver at 830. Stay with us. DJ and PK, time to talk Utah football with the former Ute quarterback, Frank Dolce. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. Frank joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. And that's for you who was watering the sidewalks yesterday. You know who you were. Fix it. Frank, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Good morning, TK. I hope you guys are doing well. We are Uh, doing well. Yeah. Yes. DJ, are you... Did you did you uh, did you lose your voice? You sounded a little hoarse. Every once in a while, yeah. The the uh, the old uh, the old throat just sticks. I don't know what happens. So <laughs> well, it's because me, me, me. you are you use that instrument so often. You need a rest day. <laughs> I do need a rest day. You're right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. PK, do you ever get back to the South Bay? Oh, of course, absolutely. Yeah, in fact, uh, because of Pac-12 Media Day, I go at least once a year if not oh, multiple yeah. times. I have been, uh, since I moved 28 years ago, I've probably been back there 60 times. I mean, my wife's stepmother still lives there. Uh, her father died 30 years ago. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I And this last trip, I bought a T-shirt down in Hermosa that says the South Bay on it. And I wear it proudly, Frank, proudly. Nice. Oh, man, I need to find that shop. I need to get one of those. And a friend of mine uh, yesterday lives down there, and he took a picture. He likes to taunt me. He took a picture from one of the bar restaurants in Hermosa looking out towards the pier uh, in the water. And, of course, it was a bright, sunny day, no smoke or any of that stuff. And I texted him. I said, yeah, Hermosa always works for me, and why don't you go back and shut up? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's, absolutely. He's got people. He's got people and places scattered, basically from Manhattan to Newport. Yeah, Manhattan my, Beach my to brother, Newport Beach. Yeah, my brother. We grew up in Culver City, but my brother has just moved to Manhattan Beach. Uh, mm. So I'm he's rich. Yeah, I'm feeling the same way. Like a little, a little jealous about that circumstance. <laughs> yeah, they don't text you pictures though when they're stuck in traffic because it took them. Uh, Took him an hour and a half to go ten miles. So four hours to get yeah. from. Yeah, I used to drive from my house in Culver City, which is twelve miles, about twelve miles away from El Camino Junior College. And if I got there in an hour, I was doing pretty well. <laughs> How did you end up going to El Camino? Because there's other JCs that you could have gone and played for. Did you? I mean, obviously they had a great football program under Featherstone. Was it the lore of the football program? Well, so so, uh, so Santa Monica Junior College was closer. That would yeah. have been like the, no the more reasonable, I guess, one. But but football wise, Santa Monica wasn't nearly what El Camino was no. at that point. Yeah, and and so I it's so funny because I happened to be at uh, an awards bank, banquet after my senior year with my head coach in high school, Fred Fuller was his name. And as the banquet was concluding and we were running out, this little guy with, you know, always looks like he's running a thousand miles an hour, comes over and introduces himself and says, hey, I'm John Featherstone. I'm the head coach at El Camino Junior College. We'd love to have you come and take a look. And that was the start and the end of my recruiting 
to El Camino Junior College. I immediately said, yeah, I'd like to go play for that guy. And that was it. Simple. The the the, the simple, innocent days. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Isn't that the truth? I don't know what in the world would have happened if he said, and we have this name engine like, like this program, and you can do this, and you can do that. I mean, I would have. My mind would have exploded. <laughs> so I'm curious what your number one question is about the Utes heading into the opener with Weber State. What do you want to know? I well, I have. A, I think I have a lot of questions. Um, I. It's probably too simple to say. Is I want to know if the quarterback is is the real deal. Um, but I, but I, but I think that position is so critical for Utah that I, I guess that's I'm I'm most curious about that. I feel like I know everything, or I have a sense of everything else that's that's happening on the offensive side. Like we we we're we we're concerned about the offensive line and who's you know which five are going to be there. I know they named five or six, but but which five are going to be there and which guys are going to work out and. Um, I mean, I think there's. I'm I'm a little soft on the wide receiver group. I think there's some talent there, but not maybe not the depth of talent that we were hoping for. Love the tight end group, and we're just going to be running back by committee for two or three games until until someone emerges, and maybe no one really emerges. But but if you run a two quarterback, a two two running back system, excuse me, then then you know even if you kind of work three guys in there, that's a little more difficult. But you're you'll be okay. So it still comes down to quarterback play for me if if Utah's going to be really successful on the offensive side. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. I think I I suppose for me the biggest eyebrow raiser is the offensive line because receivers it's been the position has been the same for several years now. We're waiting mm-hmm. for some big time guy to emerge. And it really hasn't happened. Doesn't mean they're not good, but we haven't had somebody, uh, Nikhil Harry type player. You throw the ball and he makes a play. So I expect the same there. Tight ends, I'm very, very confident. Running back, uh, I'm, I'm okay with because I knew this is the way it was going to be. Once the Ty Jordan situation happened, it was all right. Who are they going to get in the transfer portal? Because they're going to get guys. They got two guys from two big name schools. They got a junior college transfer and a holdover who didn't get a whole lot of opportunity. So uh, I just have to go on their history. But uh, the offensive line surprises me that on the Monday before the game, Kyle Whittingham is saying we're not sure. I'm wondering too, Frank, though, if say it was it probably wouldn't be this case, but if you were to open with a conference opponent. Would you be a little more sure? Are you a little unsure because it's Weber State and you're expected to win? I think Utah has that luxury of playing Weber State first uh, because you. Sh- I mean, even if Utah's uncertain, unsettled at the offensive line, um, if you're just going kind of talent for talent, you should be able to overcome that right. um, because because you should be more talented up front. And so I think you do have that luxury. I think that's an excellent observation of, of saying, well, we're just going to, you know, we're going to try out a couple guys. We're going to try out a few guys up front. Uh, on the defensive line, that it's never an issue because Utah rotates like eight guys every year. So we're never concerned about the starters on the defensive line because 
there's a natural rotation that occurs with that group. But you can't do that with the offensive line. It's it's interesting. Offensive line, it seems like you have to have five settled. And even if you insert one new guy, then you're a little nervous about what's going to happen on the on the next play. Same with the quarterback position. It's just two quarterback system never works. So so it is it is interesting that that's where we are with the offensive line. And and you know, as much as I like coach Harding and I think as much as coach Whittingham puts all of his trust in coach Harding, that's a position group that I think all, a lot of us were hoping would be more settled at this point um, under Coach Harding. Like we would feel like there's a solid five every year with a couple guys who are in the battle for a starting position, and it hasn't materialized the way I think we were hoping it would on the on the offensive front. Is there a receiver you trust to be a breakout guy? I keep thinking. I thought this about linebackers for a long time, and it's finally happened. Hey, linebackers ought to want to play behind that defensive line. And that's really, you know, over the – maybe it's evolved a little bit, but it's definitely happened, right? They have upgraded their linebackers over where they were a decade ago. And so I keep thinking it's going to happen with wide receiver. Like, everybody wants to go somewhere where they can be the guy. Well, go to Utah and be the guy. I mean, everybody throws the ball 25 times a game. If you're the number one receiver, how many times are you going to be targeted? Who cares if they don't throw it 40 times a game? You know, you'll get yours. I keep thinking it's going to happen. Obviously, I haven't been right yet, but PK will tell you I'm stubborn. You know, I'll keep banging my head against the wall. Is this the year? I don't. I don't know that this is the year. I mean, I guess uh, I, I don't. I mean, I don't think that. I think Covey's going to be really good. I don't think he's going to have a breakout year, uh, um, and and maybe set the world on fire. I, I don't know what, exactly what that means. Set the world on fire, but he's going to be good. Um, I think. I think Solomon Enos is a guy that is is super talented, and and maybe if he has an opportunity to catch six, seven, eight balls a game, then then maybe we see something different out of him. I really thought that when Utah got a hold of Darren Carrington, and Carrington had a pretty good year, and he was just, I don't don't know, he just was a different guy. Like, when you watched him run routes, catch the ball, do things after he caught the ball, you could just tell that this was a different guy in 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 the Utah receiving core. I thought that maybe there would be this, you know, Darren Carrington effect, and maybe a couple guys would say, "Hey, look, you know what you're what you're saying, DJ. I can go there and catch 10, 15 balls a game. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna be the, I'm gonna be the spotlight in the wide receiver group. That's not a bad thing at Utah. So, uh, but it, but it didn't materialize. I, I know. I, is it just, is it too much to ask that Utah get a CD Lamb? every once in a while and just have have that guy running around. I mean, my heavens, USC could spare one of their four or five receivers is going to end up in the, in the NFL. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I don't see a breakout guy necessarily. I think it's a, it's a, it's a group that's athletic and has potential and still is the biggest, you know, offensive line wide receiver is still the biggest question mark on the offensive side. All right, Frank, then how much of that is simply reputation as to why they can't get it because it seems like they can get everything else? It's a really it's a really good question, and it's really easy 
for an opposing coach to recruit against Utah in the wide receiver group because the numbers just don't support Utah doing anything other than being really good up front and running the ball and establishing the run game and then, you know, offsetting it with a, with a decent passing game. Um, and not, not, you know, and when I say a decent passing game, it's like, you know, average type, type of numbers um, that, are, that, that wouldn't, wouldn't impress anybody who's trying to, to make the next step to the NFL. So um, I think it's probably more – I'm sure that the coaching staff is out, you know, scraping the dirt to try and find the, the right guy at the wide receiver. But reputation is – it's just a little bit difficult to overcome. I, that's right. Like, I feel like Utah needs uh, an, a, another Darren Carrington, another Steve Smith, another Kevin Dyson – but then really, you know, really utilize that guy and highlight that position to, to say, look, yeah, we run the ball, and that's going to be the foundation of our, of our offense. But, um, but look, you can be a star at the, at the wide receiver group. I mean, it's the same, a little bit the same for Stanford. No, no, there's hardly ever a wide receiver that comes out of Stanford because the reputation and the history is, well, we're just going to be really good up front. We have a great tight end or two. And we're going to run the ball. And, right. you know, that's going to be it. And we just need a quarterback who's kind of a game manager. We don't need a superstar. So yeah. reputation, I think, is definitely the, the issue here. Okay, you can say Stanford, but, I mean, Simi Fajoko is on the Wasatch front, and he goes to Stanford and he gets drafted. So, yes, yeah, Stanford, but... And three years well, earlier, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside got drafted. Yeah, so... So even there's, Stanford. There's one, I know, you say even Stanford, but there are probably probably other factors at play. I mean... I get it. Uh, Stanford is one of a kind. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to have to go there. I mean, no, it's I'm, true. My, you know, it's, my heart, yeah. heart's with Utah, but, but, but I have to be honest, if, if one of my kids said, hey, Dad, you know... Stanford's offering and and Utah's offering and BYU's offering. Um, what do you think? Well, I mean, you think Stanford? Uh, yeah, that's pretty. Well, uh, you you pretty, think Stanford, or I will kick you out of the house and you will be disinherited immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Come now, on, throw San Diego State in the mix, and then we might have a, you know we might have. Mix. And every kid who gets a, a full scholarship to Stanford, their acceptance rate is low compared to others. But the fa- the number of people who get offered versus the people who accept the scholarship, it's extremely high. Yeah. I so put them a aside. First, a first in the history of collegiate admissions is, ne- is Stanford has a negative admission rate. I think that's <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> So as far as what they're going to show, basically, against Weber, uh, your offensive coordinator, your Andy Ludwig, how much do you put out there in the playbook? Because you've got the cat and mouse game with the next week, and you got you do have a new quarterback, although everybody has tons of film on him for all those starts in Baylor. But do you hold back a little bit? What do you do there? I think the, the, the playbook is thin uh, in terms of variety. Uh, but so, so yeah, I mean, I guess holding, hold, hold back a little bit, but I, I also, I also think 
you have to figure out who your running back is, or you want to get some better idea who your running back is going to be uh, heading into the Pac-12. And, and so you're going to get a lot of work out of that group, um, you know, 30, 40 carries out of that group. And then, and then you want to see what your quarterback r- really does when the lights turn on. And so I think you're going to give him a lot of throws. I think you're going to give him a lot of opportunities to, to put the ball in the air and to see how he manages pressure and see how he manages different situations. And so I could see um, a little bit of a vanilla offense in terms of variety, but in terms of play calling, balance, run, pass, mix, um, maybe slightly heavy on the run side, only slightly heavy on the run side, and then really try and figure out what you have at the quarterback position by, by giving, an oppor- giving an opportunity there. Go the other way. Show everything in the playbook and make them prep for everything, even stuff you would never run against them. <laughs> Play the mind I, game. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And um, you know Andy Ludwig, and I know Andy Ludwig. That doesn't seem like that's in the Andy Ludwig personality i mean i think to me he andy ludwig is and one of the great things about him is he is much more methodical much more analytical and um i don't think that he i don't think he likes to play games although i will say this uh when when utah played alabama in the sugar bowl uh which was andy ludwig's last game and his first stint uh, I thought that it was all of a sudden he became a different and like the playbook changed, and all of a sudden he became a different, um, slightly different coordinator. And they were doing things with the quarterback position of Brian Johnson that they just hadn't done during his during his time there. So, so he did throw a curveball in that game, and and that certainly was the right formula uh, against uh, Coach Saban in Alabama. Well, Frank, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you every week all year long, talking to you football right here on The Zone. Man, I, I really appreciate it. I love talking to you guys. I just I have one question. If, if we have two seconds, I have one question for, for PK. And, DJ, you can jump in on this as well, because I know PK is a, is a golf guy. But, but I watched that tournament, and I watched DeChambeau, who was difficult to like, tell Cantlay to stop walking or ask Cantlay to stop walking. And I just want your thought. Is that the right thing to do, or is that the biggest, um, well, what, what's the appropriate word for shambo? I mean, there's lots of them. Was that the, is the it a biggest? sign of weakness, I think, is what you're trying to say. That's a very, that's a very nice way to put it. Yes, nice I know the other thing you're trying to say, and I'm glad you didn't say it. <laughs> yeah. Yach would have had to scramble and hit the dumb button. Everybody would have freaked well, is out. It, is it a compound word? Is the first word chicken? <laughs> pretty close <laughs> yep the great thing about that is Cantlay was not going to be denied if I was a gambler once they went to OT I would have put DJ's financial report and history all on Cantlay and that's a substantial amount of money Frank everything his entire portfolio is the word I'm looking Whoa. for well that's eight we're talking yeah. like eight figures, right? I mean, that's a big, that's a big thing. I don't, I don't so, even want to think about the lack of bladder control I had if I had 
uh, wagered wagered it all on Cantley making one of those putts, which he made him. But man, repeatedly, I would have been, been dying yeah. as he lined up another fifteen. Watching putter. Cantley play was watching <laughs> oh, like Kobe or MJ in a shooting zone. He was dialed in mm-hmm. completely, and completely I still I in. don't have a stomach for that kind of thing, and I would have <laughs> lost it. <laughs> Even though okay, it would have been so, the right thing to do, I would have lost it. So was DeShambo right? Or was he just being DeShambo? I think this is the latter is what I would say. Yeah. It didn't come across the right way. I mean, I think there's probably a way that you could say, you know, hey, Patrick, uh, you know, trying to hit over here. Could you <laughs> could you not walk for a second or or some way? But the way what that would he does things, What would Tiger do? I, Tiger he would have won it in regulation. Stepped, he, he would have, he, yeah. He would have won by twelve in regulation. He would have stepped away from the ball, and he would have just looked over his shoulder. Yes, I totally agree. But he would have shot that that laser glare that would like fries an egg on the sidewalk, even when it's yeah. forty degrees out. And he looked, yep. and then he looked back at his ball. He would have gotten the tunnel vision, and he would have smoked that thing to within you know five feet of the pin, and then probably yeah. shot another death glare over his shoulder. Like you know yeah. better, and you know you know better. Spun the club, maybe walked over to him and said something like, "Hey, did you see that shot? That was pretty good, wasn't it?" You know. Now stand still, but, comma. <laughs> yeah, no, don't walk around anymore. Frank, we yeah, appreciate yeah. it. Thanks a lot. Absolutely, guys. Talk to you soon. Have a great week. Frank Dolce talking Utes. Dylan Colley's talking Cougars. Next, stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. James Empey anchoring that offensive line for BYU. Jaron Hall's named the starter. You've been around him the last several years. How excited are you to see him get another opportunity to be the guy at BYU? And what can we expect from him week one? Oh, I'm 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 super excited for him, and I'm I'm proud of the way our quarterback room competed this fall camp. Um, super excited for Jaron. He has a lot of poise, a lot of swagger, and he comes into the offense kind knowing what to do and where everybody's supposed to be. And, you know, I'm excited to see him as he keeps going, you know, this season and, and as we get rolling. But excited about him. I think he does a lot of good things, and, and we're pumped about it. Hanson Scotty Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk BYU football with Dylan Cauley, former Cougar wide receiver, joining us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret, no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why the Smart Rain guest, or the Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Dylan, good morning. Good morning. How we doing? Good. Are you finally ready for some football game week? Enough of the I mean, uh, analysis and the guessing. An actual game. We are back. We are back, and it feels good. All right. I'm going to do something stupid. I'm going to challenge you, Collie. Every time I've done that, I've lost. But I'm going to do it again. Dylan, you made the outrageous prediction about Zach Wilson. The floor is yours about Jaron Hall. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, I, and I feel, I think the bad part is I feel good about this challenge. Uh, <laughs> You're a collie. <laughs> the, the interesting thing is when Jaron had the opportunity to kind of come in and the mindset, the personality, right, is all very, very similar to Zach. 
Um, but you look at the level of maturity and advancement in Jaron, and obviously, right, a little bit older, um, obviously a, a, a family man in terms of his, his beautiful wife and daughter. Um, Jaron is one of the most athletic people I've ever been around. I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, the guy went and played baseball and had zero problems doing it. Um, you know, the ceiling for him is is really unknown to everybody, right? How how good can he be? He's going to be phenomenal. He's going to be extremely good. Um, the only real difference that you have between the two is, right, Jaron's just getting a later start. And so how fast does he hit that ceiling is is kind of unknown, right? Because he has to kind of grow into the potential. Now he gets this opportunity to play a full season as a starting quarterback. And, you know, obviously Kalani and, and A-Rod have put their full trust in him. And so I think the team trusts him. He's a guy that's been around for a very long time um, and, and has proved that he can be extremely successful. And so, you know, uh, obviously to, to sit there and say, hey, is he the next Zach Wilson? I think that's that's unfair to do because Zach is obviously in, his, in a league of his own. But um, Jaron is going to be extremely phenomenal. I don't think there's going to be much of a, a, a beat skip, uh, you know, this, this year. Do you think that all the quarterbacks who were in the program a year ago benefited from watching Zach be a football junkie, a film junkie, and realizing that there is one level where you're preparing, but if you really want to be excellent, you got to double down on that and go to a whole other level? Did guys learn that watching him in a way that you can be told it, but it just doesn't sink in? Absolutely. I think, obviously, the big change because I know, I know Jaron was mentally preparing for games as he was the starting quarterback. That's, there's no question about that. Jaron was ready every single week. He was putting that time in, right? He was putting that effort in. I think the biggest difference is, is they got to see what Zach did, right, in a physical preparation. That's where the, the set was kind of, that's where the mark was set, right? And now Jaron saying, you know what? Obviously, Zach did a pretty smart thing by going to work with John Beck and taking his game to the next level. Um, I need to go and do that as well. And, and that was obviously, right, the biggest difference um, and kind of the biggest advantage that, that Jaron had and, and, you know, probably a huge reason for his success uh, during fall camp and ultimately getting the nod. So I think that's the biggest kind of takeaway from last year was what are you doing outside physically to prepare to make yourself not just an okay athletic quarterback, but a phenomenal quarterback all around. One of the more interesting things I think you just said is the team trusts him. How important is that? Oh, it's everything, right? It's, it's very hard and not – there's no team in the country, I think, that is out there except maybe a Clemson, right, that has a quarterback – that goes from being a top three pick to going to the second guy and everyone being like, yeah, we're not, we're not really, we're not skipping a beat. There isn't some level set different. Um, and so, you know, where a lot of guys can come in and say, Hey, this isn't, this is going to be rough, right? Everyone's walking around on tippy toes in the locker room saying, guys, like, remember, like we don't have Zach. Whereas today I know people are in that locker room saying, Hey, <laughs> 
this is Jaron's team and Jaron's ready to rock. And so um, that's going to be a huge difference in carrying the momentum from last year and saying, hey, all of this talk, all of this Big 12 talk, all of this national spotlight and attention, right, Jaron's not just the person that's going to help us win games. Jaron's the one that's going to help us maintain the momentum that we have from last year. Dylan Cauley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. So with Jaron, I am nervous because I saw him get a couple concussions real quick, and I didn't mm-hmm. even think he got hit that, that much on the second one. Easy for me to say I wasn't the one getting hit. But as much as that worries me, I get confidence from the fact that he didn't play a year ago, and so I've read a bunch of stuff that, hey, the further you get between them, the better off you are. So I think that's a huge positive. Uh, I'm not a doctor, so I only know what I read you know, what I read and what I hear watching football and watching other players. I wasn't even pre-med on Friday nights at Arizona State like PK. <laughs> at least he's got some background. What's your level of confidence in Jaron's ability to stay healthy and stay away from a concussion that's going to turn all of our stomachs? And yeah, that's 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 always that's always the question, right? And um, I think the biggest part of that, ultimately, is as weird as this might be, and as odd as this might be to bring it into sports, but it's going to be. I think it really just comes down to his faith, right? And and knowing that he's being watched out for, and hopefully he is, um, you know, mentally and physically prepared to take some hits um, because. You know, there are a lot of things happen when when you're not ready and, and you tighten up and your body tightens up and physically, you know, uh, if you're going around on your sippy toes and hopefully hoping not to get hit, that's when you leave yourself the most open for, for those types of injuries, right? And so I think as long as he stays confident, as long as he allows himself to take some hits, especially early on, right, I think we're better off in the long run and maintaining kind of his health and staying physical. If he goes out there and everyone's on eggshells about it, I, I think we're going to see a lot more opportunity in, in him being a lot more prone to, to getting hurt. But um, obviously the time has been huge. He's been taking care of his body, and it's a matter of you know just uh, going out there and still kind of going balls to the walls so that you're not uh, – you're not playing tight and finding yourself in that situation where you're going to get injured, you know, just because mentally you're scared. So looking at this BYU offense, you know, they lost Dax Mill, and obviously he was a big-time receiver and Zach Wilson doing all the throwing. So you'd think that, wow, that's a lot of production. You lost offensive line, uh, at least one to the NFL, and you think that's a blow. And, you know, it is obviously, no question about that. But I look at the number of guys returning and combined with the the Nakua brothers who transferred in as receivers. If I look at receiver, tight ends, and running backs, I believe that in terms of depth and talent, this is one of the better groups maybe in the history of BYU football returning. What do you expect out of this offense? Yeah, I, a lot. Like I, I think this this offense has the ability to do extremely special things against the schedule that they're going in. Um, you know, you look at you look at the depth, right? That you're talking about, and it is it is a lot of people who have produced a lot of, of statistics and a lot of success on the football field, all the way from top to bottom, right? From 
you know, Neil has been playing consistently. Gunner has been playing consistently. You know, the Nakua brothers have been playing consistently at a top, top level of Division One football. Um, and so, you know, there really isn't – you're not coming into this game with a wondering of, ooh, how is this person going to play? You know exactly how this person is going to play. You know how each person is going to play against the University of Arizona, right? Because there's a history to it, and they all have had experiences with, uh, with U of A. You look at the tight end. You look at Isaac, right, the success that he has, the confidence that he has, Dallin Holker. I mean, I don't think people understand. Dallin Holker and Isaac Rex have the opportunity, right, to be the best one-two punch uh, at tight end that BYU has had in probably 10 years since Dennis Pitt and Andrew George, right? Like, those are two tight ends that are playing, you know, one, extremely physical, extremely large in physical stature, but play at a receiver-type athletic ability, right? Like, that's unstoppable. You can't – it doesn't matter who you're playing. You can't defend both of those guys. Um, and then you top it off with, you know, uh, Peeney and Tyler Algier at running back. You know, for them, the biggest thing, that's my concern of health, right, is how can the running back stay healthy – how can we make sure that these two guys are given the opportunity to stay healthy? Um, because if they stay healthy, I think that's the health this year, whereas last year it was obviously Zach. If Peeney and Tyler Algier stay stay healthy, I'm, I'm not sure what defense is going to have a good opportunity to stop, to stop BYU's offense. What do you know about the University of Arizona, or do you even want to know anything about that football team? Is game one just all about yourself and your own team and how they play? No. I think you have, you have two teams on two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? You have a team that garnered a ton of national attention last year, right, is riding this wave, is on this absolute train of, uh, of, of spotlight and success. And then you have a team who didn't win a single game last year in their conference and only played five games, right? And so you need to understand the other side of it. You need to know that, hey, guys, if BYU comes into this game and this game is close or this game is kind of uh, there are spots where it's like, you know, Arizona is playing extremely well and they play better than BYU, which is I highly doubt going to happen. Then it's honestly kind of like an eye-opening worry, right? <laughs> uh, because of the way Arizona has been the last few years and what they've kind of had to overcome now um, with with someone leaving and now Jed Fish coming in and really kind of pressing restart. You have two freshman quarterbacks who are going to be splitting time. Um, you know, with what is writing on this season for BYU – you better understand who they are, how they play, right? The mental side of, of their worries and their self-conscious attributes uh, so that you can take full advantage because, to be honest with you, this game, this game should not be close. A lot of BYU kids on the roster are from Pac-12 territories. You being one of them, you're not on the roster, but obviously you grew up in California and you followed the Pac-10 slash 12 probably your whole life like we all have. 
uh, how much extra fun do you think it's going to be playing five Pac-12 teams this season to where you can really compare yourself against a bunch of teams, uh, including from the South Division, where the Utes are in? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, there is it's exciting football, right? And there's a level of athleticism that we get to show that we can keep up with. Um, and that BYU gets to kind of put themselves on a pedestal that says, hey, all the discussion that's gone on about being a power five, uh, you know, we're, we're right up there. And I think outside of the University of Utah, right, we've done, we've done pretty well against the Pac-12. Right? I think we'd find ourselves in a top spot in the Pac-12, especially the Pac-12 South. Um, and so – you know, this is this is real proving ground to take advantage of this type of opportunity and kind of prove out where where BYU stands on a national level. All right, before University of Washington fans jump in and start saying stuff, we will uh, let you go, Dylan. We appreciate the time as always, and we will talk to you every week, all season long. And PK will constantly come up and challenge you to say outrageous things because you're a colleague, and he would expect nothing less. The definitive statements. <laughs> Done. I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Excited to be with you guys. Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver, joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big news breaking in the NFL this hour. We will tell you about that next. Stay with us on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes get set for an in-state showdown against Weber State at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Catch the Ute pregame show Thursday at 4, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Join the big show Friday at the warehouse from 2 to 7 p.m. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Oh, I'm ready. Boom! And we got earth-shaking NFL news that can add to a double boom, which would be then boom, boom. The New England Patriots. Wow, Bill Belichick does things in style, doesn't he, PK? First, he picks a quarterback. Mac Jones is the guy. And then, just to make sure there's no wavering and everybody's clear, he releases Cam Newton. Goodbye. Yeah. See you later. Thanks wow. for playing. It's a cold, hard world. And Long there was show. plenty of speculation about how this was going to go. And, you know, Mac Jones isn't going to sit for a year like Jordan Love. And his chance will come. I actually watched one of the talking heads on one of the talking head shows on TV say, Mac is going to get his chance. And it'll be earlier than most people think. But it's not going to be right at the start of the year. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know, right? Where's the accountability? <laughs> Cam Newton waved. No safety net. We're moving on. Now, I don't know their cap situation and how much money figures into it, uh, but I didn't hear anybody saying not only is Cam not going to start, he's not even going to be on the team on Labor Day. Well, to me, this screams a coach who has the ultimate job security, and he doesn't have to worry about getting fired. And obviously, Bill Belichick does not have to worry about that for all he's accomplished. He's in the running. We don't really identify greatest coach the way we do player. 
but clearly Belichick is there, so he could do whatever he wants, and I don't mean that he's going to be loose and just do dumb things. That's not the point. But the point is he has the ultimate job security in the NFL. You know, coaches come and go so quickly. They call it Black Monday, the first Monday after the season, when we usually see several coaches fired just about every year, and Bill Belichick is beyond that, so he can take this risk. And obviously to him, he probably doesn't think it's much of a risk. And he's the one who's there every day evaluating literally every single thing that's going on. And Mac Jones, he believes, is his guy. But if it doesn't work, Belichick's job is now uh, is not on the line. I wonder, pick a precarious coach right now in the NFL. There's so many of them. Uh, that are you know one or two years away from being fired. Uh, Kingsbury down there in uh, Arizona, uh, they they got to get going here, right? They got to be better than they have been, and so he hasn't proven himself by any stretch, right? That's just one that comes to mind. Pete Carroll is is also in the Bill Belichick mode, uh, but the rest of them. Yeah, about you know, Mike McCarthy in Dallas. I think his job's on the line. I feel I feel like there'd be a little heat on that seat. Yeah. So I don't know that uh, those guys can make this decision, but Belichick can, and it's bold. And he probably went to Kraft and said, listen, man, this is what we need to do. Here's why we need to do it. And Kraft looks like he says, well, you, you're the one who makes that call. <laughs> yeah, Go right. ahead. And you know, Mac Jones was going to play. There was no question. You really can't put the Jordan Love situation in there because you got Aaron Rodgers yep. and Cam Newton. Is not Aaron Rodgers, obviously. So. Okay, but maybe Kansas City would have been a better idea where Alex Smith kept the job for one year. And Alex is healthier and more productive than Cam Newton was, so even that isn't a perfect example. No, but Kansas City, Kansas City believed they had the next big thing, and they were right. But they waited a year, even though they had the next big thing in Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid waited a year. Yeah, and Andy Reid has a rep, too. He's another coach that is in no uh, danger of being fired. So those guys making these right moves. But I think it's a bold move. I also think quarterbacks are more prepared to play today as a younger quarterback. And unless you've got clearly a better guy, you know, it's almost like the colleges, you know, unless the older guy is clearly better, you go with the younger guy. And so if it's close, and Mac Jones, you, you thought he was going to be your future. What would what did he go, 15th uh, there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's middle and, first round, 15th. Yeah, and so all sorts of success at Alabama. He reminded me of uh, a Tyler Huntley, the way Huntley played so well as his senior year, watching Mac Jones do what he did at Alabama. Now the talent was so superior that you wonder, you know, is it like the quarterbacks in high school where we're just better than you and so I can just drop back in the pocket and the play that we drew up just makes it easy to to accomplish. I mean, they had a Heisman Trophy winner and he wasn't even the best receiver on the team because the other guy got injured earlier in the season, right? So they had all sorts of talent, and Harris, a great running back, blah, blah, blah. We all know about Alabama. But I, I, I actually like it. I don't know about cutting Newton, but well, I actually so, like going yeah. with Jones. There's so many things we don't know here. Um, does does Bill Belichick want to go without the safety net and be all in, and it makes it easier for everybody on the team to not have drama in the locker room and second guess and all that because it's over, it's just done? Or is this because 
they need just a little bit of cap flexibility because of yeah, some yeah, other yeah. things they want to do on That's the roster? Important. Or did Cam Newton want this because he thinks, you know, his agent thinks, hey, there's a chance for him to go somewhere else and play? How will that play out? We, I mean, we were just talking earlier this morning about, uh, yeah, I know, that would be dicey, but I can't rule it out. Uh, we were just talking earlier this morning, you were telling the story about Trevor Riley going to bed. Hey, if you're... If we're letting you go, you'll know by such and such a time, right? And the yeah, time yeah, comes yeah. and goes, and you go yeah. to bed, and you wake up the next morning, and they call you in, and, yeah, you made our roster, but when we saw who other people cut, we wanted one of those guys. So, sorry, dude, but you got to go, you know? Yeah, yeah, So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there may be another team that's already reached out to Cam's agent. There's so many things unknown now. We just got to let them play out, you know, on this side of the country. I don't think anybody's wired in enough to be able to answer any of these questions. And it may be the first thing. That was the first thing that came to my mind was, hey, I don't want to divide a locker room. It's relatively close, but I'm going to go with the guy who's got a decade of future in front of him, not a guy who's over 30 who, yeah. you know, the time is now. I wouldn't be worried about a divided locker room because Belichick will cut you. Uh, <laughs> he <laughs> so, will, too. Uh, so, But I think better, it's an unorthodox whatever, move. Whatever side you're on, it better be on Bill's side. But it's an unorthodox move, so one of these things had to be driving uh, it. Or multiple. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then there we go. I mean, if you if you want this guy to be your guy, get him in there because you know I don't think that the Patriots necessarily are going to be a Super Bowl contender this year, but who's to say in the next year or two? And I love the fact that Belichick, it seems like he puts all of his cards to the table, which means he's not stepping away, and he's accomplished all this and everything, whatever you need to accomplish as a head coach in the NFL or any sport for that matter. Belichick has done it. And so you would think that, I mean, he can go do whatever he wants, but I take this as that I'm here, and I'm getting older, but I'm like a Nick Saban. I'm not going anywhere. I mean, I still want this job, and I want it bad, and I want to win bad, and I want to show everybody. If you turn around and you win, I mean, we thought that all Brady or Belichick, right? And so Brady wins the Super Bowl. Oh, it's Brady. But who's to say in two or three years when Brady, I assume at some point he's not going to continue to play, and Belichick can coach for, who knows, another five to seven to ten years maybe? I mean, it seems outrageous, but it's possible. So if he finds a way to win with another guy, all right, I raise you, Tom, and one-up you here because I take this one kid and, and in two or three years he's ready to go and the team, we've managed the cap and all that, which is so important at the NFL level, and here we are again. Wow, that would be something. So I'm excited for this move. I'm, exci- I'm always excited for the start of the NFL season, me and five trillion other guys. And so here it adds a story, and we love – we're in a story business, you and me and Yach and everybody on our station. We love stories. And this is a great story. We're not going to obsess over it because we go more with the local stuff, but you can very, very well bet all of us are going to be watching Mac Jones when he makes his debut. Absolutely. We talk all the time about how things in pro sports change. In three years, things are so different. It doesn't matter if it's the NBA, if it's the NFL, whatever. Three years ago in the NFL, the Chargers were, uh, had just moved. The Raiders hadn't moved yet. Andrew Luck was quarterbacking the Indianapolis Colts to a 10-win season. We didn't know he was going to retire and walk away. They didn't win the division because Houston had 11 wins, and Houston's only lost their star lineman, their star wide receiver, and their star quarterback is just going to practice and walking around. Everybody else is going on in life without him, and he's facing a gazillion lawsuits. I mean, things change all the time. And so if, if in three years as Mac Jones' move pays off, then it was a brilliant move. Yeah, oh, no question. So and, and Bill Belichick can certainly coach three more years. That's not a stretch.
Right. So, all right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Got a lot of Cougar fans pumped up for Saturday, and they're going to be there, and we'll tell you about that next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We were just talking about the NFL, Cam Newton getting released by the Patriots this morning. It's the big NFL news. Mac Jones is the starter, and there's no safety net. Bill Belichick's all on, and we were just pointing out, well, three years, man, everything changes in the NFL. You know, Drew Brees, Andrew Luck were quarterbacking division-winning teams three years ago. Or Andrew Luck was a wild-card team, I guess. And just everything changes. Teams move, even. There's all kinds of change. And PK, if we bring that to the college level and we bring it home, think how different the vibe is around BYU football now versus three years ago. Oh, yeah, night and day. Right? The the four nine is in the rearview mirror. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're coming off eleven wins, nationally ranked, and people are ready to flock to the game in droves Saturday night. Fifty seven thousand tickets sold. The Pac twelve commissioner George Klyovkov is tweeting out about that and the attendance. Probably trying to bury that whole storyline about nobody showing up for a UCLA home football game. Got some good news here. A Pac-12 team is going to Vegas, but somewhere between 30, 35, maybe 40,000 BYU fans at this game, they're going to be the majority, the vast majority of the 57,000 tickets. You're figuring two-thirds, that would be 38 to 19,000. 38,000 BYU fans. I'd actually be surprised if the U of A had close to 20,000 fans there. I mean, I've been in Tucson a million times over for home games going back many, many years and, you know, they don't really have a big-time passionate fan base. Uh, but at the same time, when the team wins, they do come out. I'll give them that. New coach who's exciting like and a weekend in Vegas, baby. That won't turn them uh, out? You know, it's hot there. It's hot where you're coming from. Uh, the casinos in Arizona are all over the place now. So if it's gambling that you're interested in, yeah, but there's shows and entertainment. Right. I mean, there there's more, more than that. There is there's more, than that, more yes. oomph to Vegas. I agree. As opposed to just going and playing cards. Which is why or, I just said yeah. gambling. Right. There's no question about it. And you had sports gambling, too, uh, that you don't have in the other places at the, at the casinos mm-hmm. anyway. So I, I just don't know. I don't know that people would be willing. If it was in San Diego and you can go to Pacific Beach, that's another story. <laughs> and uh, then you have faith in 20,000? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And you just, it's, you know, it's not a long drive, obviously. Uh, and, uh, you know, get out of the weather. But at the same, I, I'm not, I'm not sure there's going to be that many U of A fans. If it were basketball and uh, they were, have been you as think good they're as they win. <laughs> yeah, you know, they just, they, they dominated the uh, Pac-12 place, that's for sure. Pac-12, when it was at MGM, absolutely, in the hotel there, which literally you didn't have to go outside uh, to to be at the site. It's now across the street at a standalone arena, T-Mobile. So uh, still, the U of A fans are there all over the place. But the fact is, BYU in the West, you have to put the qualifier in the West because there's some other places in this country that's just them they don't they don't compare fan wise. But BYU's fan base, it's as good as anybody's in the West. And I I dare anybody to get on their app and argue, get on our app and argue with me. BYU's fan base is as good as anybody's in the Mountain West and Pac twelve. 
Uh, basically, the Mountain Time Zone and the Pacific Time Zone. It's just, I, I dare anybody to tell me there's a better fan base than BYU's. Kyle's driving it. He says, I bought 43 tickets for my friends and family, and we're using them all. So the answer is, I am doing the buying. <laughs> you put That's that nice. In, you put that in the question of the day. Who's doing the buying? He says, it's me, personally. 43. Kyle. 43, friends and family. That's impressive. 43 tickets. You're going to have 43 people from the same association, friends and family, so I can't say family. That's really, really good. Yeah, there'll be BYU fans all over the place. And BYU fans are jacked again. It has become cool to be a BYU fan again. And for a while, it wasn't. It was all about Utah in this community. Absolutely it was. Well, speaking of that, as you know who about to let all the air out of the balloon in 11 days? In what way? By beating BYU again. 10 is coming, celebrating and just basically turning the sprinklers on at the party and sending everybody home. Well, that's so typical of you because you've been anti-BYU for like 50 years. <laughs> and so before it even starts, you're not just raining on the parade. You're doing something else that's on the parade. Oh! <laughs> oh! Horrible! Wow, this took a left turn. That well, we haven't even started the season, and he's already predicting they're going to get beat in 11 days. All right, maybe they will. Certain affiliation that DJ has. Oh, I know. He's his bias is so obvious. Back twelve won't let my school in. What did RSL do to BYU to upset (laughs) you this much? (laughs) I don't understand. Good one. (laughs) (laughs) Let's. Well, they could lose the game, and let's see how the game goes. I mean, a loss is a loss. There's no doubt about it. But you could still, where BYU is, and Utah is expected to be one of the top teams, if not the top team. So you could actually gain a whole bunch of confidence from losing to those guys. If you get smoked, no. But you've got a, you know, that's only your second game. You still got 10 left. Well, and you got another big game the very next week with Arizona State. Well, right now they've got teams that are three ranked teams, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't. Baylor and Virginia are not ranked. Boise isn't ranked, uh, and but so right now you've got uh, the Devils, the Utes, and then the Trojans at the end of the season, right? And so that that those are the top three teams in the South that are according to the poll. We'll see how it plays out, but that's where we're at right now. Uh, so uh, still, you can if if they lose that game, uh, which right now I would pick Utah because until I see otherwise. But we'll we'll worry about that uh, next week. Uh, you still can accomplish a whole heck of a lot. I mean, you, the Utes lost to SC in the first game and then reeled off eight in a row a couple years back. So still plenty of stuff to, to be had even with a loss in this season. I mean, I've, Utah, BYU fans, it would suck, but if you lost to Utah and went 10-2 and two, uh, that, and, and your no. only two losses were, like, say, to Utah and SC. Would you sign off on that right now? That's not bad. Or... <laughs> Roll the dice. That's a question for next week. Hold on to that one. <laughs> or <laughs> sign off on that right now. That would be beyond not bad. <laughs> that would be great. I lost as long as you didn't get smoked in those two games, though. Well, that would mean you have won twenty-one games in two seasons. Yes. Yeah. 
before yeah. a bowl game, so potentially With 22. Chance, I'd know. have to see the game, the complexion of the game. If you're getting beat, yeah, by but I would think that a ten and two points. team would be competitive in the two L's. I would too. Yeah, but I would too. I'm sure we can go back and find somebody who went ten and two and got their doors blown off, but there wouldn't probably be probably not. There wouldn't be very many. Well, the Utes, they got they got smoked. Oh, they had by, a ten win uh, team when TCU took them. Well, and then they got smoked by Oregon a couple years ago. Oh, that's a good point too. Yeah. You know? So that there's was, a couple times sour ending to that season. Yeah, they because they, they, that was a surprise sitting up there in a press box in Santa Clara. I I didn't anticipate that at all. That yeah. Oregon's level that was of, an 11 uh, win team and they got worse. Easy win, yeah, yeah. Uh, was was a surprise. So you know it does happen, but I think for the for the Cougars, it is cool to be a BYU fan again. First, because everyone loves Kalani. There's no question about it. Ute fans, they even love the guy. The guy is really, really tough to hate. He talked about, who was it, John Rom talked about, if you don't like Tony Finau, there's something wrong with you. Well, that's the same thing with Kalani Sataki. If you don't like him, there is really something wrong with you. There's no question about it, right? So he makes it cool because he's just a really good dude. And now that it looks like they've got some momentum and they're not just getting complete leftovers of people who don't want to go or can't go to other places so they go to BYU, I don't think that's the case here. And, you know, who knows with the Big 12 if that happens. So... The, the arrow is pointing up for the Cougars, so there's a lot of enthusiasm. And, and when there's a lot of enthusiasm, you've got BYU fans rallying to the stands. There is no issue about that. There's no question about that. That's why I want to see them get in the Big 12, because I think they'll be more excited week after week. And then it'll be easier to schedule to fill out, if it's three or four games, to fill out that portion. Tom Homo has done a magnificent job when he's had to do ten games basically, because he's had uh, Boise and Utah State have been on the schedule every year for a good while now. So uh, when he only has to put in four games, I'd imagine he would be able to do that to a high degree because it would just be easier. And plus in basketball then, when that once that conference season started, that arena would be 20,000 strong every freaking home game. And, man, that's that's super exciting. We got a lot of BYU fans weighing in this morning, all sorts of fired up about this game. Uh, Joshua says, I'm going to guess it's going to be 70 30 in BYU's favor in that crowd. Wouldn't be surprised if it was 80 20. 80 20. Yeah, but if it's, and we know it's not going to be this. But if it were like only 25,000, who cares if it were 80-20? Right. But since there's 57,000 tickets sold, according to the Pac-12 commissioner, and I assume, I mean, if anybody's ever going to know the number, it'd be him, right? The guy's worked in Vegas forever. He's a Pac-12 commissioner, and a Pac-12 team is playing in Vegas. So oh, I'm going to figure he knows the number. Yeah. yeah. He's not guessing. Yeah. He might go to multiple games that day, uh, depending. I haven't looked at all the times. As far as I wouldn't be surprised if he's here uh, Thursday, uh, and do and, one of the Thursday games, either this or ASU, and then there's a Friday game you can go to. Yeah, and then and then Saturday try to hit a couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would uh, I don't was, know who plays early that he right, can get to, to but check that would be late because obviously the Vegas game is later in in the day there, and and if he were, it's a shocker. It's the last TV window. What? Yeah. Uh, so they got that going. But, yeah, he knows what he's talking about there. And really, 
who cares from the from the Pac-12 perspective if there's sixty thousand people and forty thousand BYU, twenty thousand uh, U of A? Who cares? Yeah. For Pac-12 fans, Stanford's at Kansas State at 10 a.m. on FS1, and Fresno State and Oregon play at noon on the Pac-12 network. So there's two early games he could go to. Noon? So that's an 11 a.m. start for those teams? Uh, it's 11 a.m. Pacific for Fresno and Oregon, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he could easily bounce between those two games. There'd yep. be plenty of time to, to yeah. allow him to do that. So, yeah, this is, this is going to be a premier event in Vegas, and it's not as big as the Raiders, but the Raiders are still would be a week away from starting and all that stuff. So this is going to be a premier event because BYU makes it a premier event because Vegas, of all the places in the world, is basically Lavelle Edwards Stadium Part 2. It's the one place where you, you will have the biggest assembly gathering of BYU fans outside of Lavelle Edwards Stadium. There's no doubt about it. Zero doubt about it. You can't argue that. Arguing BYU's fan base is ridiculous. This makes no sense to me. It's there, and it's big, and it's strong. Well, create that home field environment. Get rolling. Post not just a win, but an impressive win. Your 11-point favorites. Beat Arizona again. This would be the third time Kalani would have beaten him. Finishes, finishes up this three-game contract, 3-0 three and with a win, and gets you set for uh, back-to-back games with ranked teams at home. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, and then I think it takes the pressure off because you're pretty much guaranteed of going 2-2 two and two in September. You know what I mean? Yes, but I don't know that it takes the pressure off. I guess it takes that level of pressure off, and then you can assume that that happens, that there won't be any disastrous start and massive hole you have to dig yourself out of, which we've talked about many times, which has only happened once. True, but we've contemplated it for summers on end. Right, but but they routinely get out of September 2 and 2. So the excitement is... Man, do you get out of three and one? It is, I get it. And you beat a ranked it. team, three and one, you beat a ranked team and won the rivalry game finally for the first time in a decade. Right. I gotcha. Um, but first things first, you are breaking a new quarterback. You sent a lot of guys to the NFL. The D line has to prove itself. Yacht played that sound bite there. Clearly looking forward to that. I think you're trying to get to nine wins for BYU's sake. And if you get two and two, I think you got a shot at nine wins. Yes. Yes, two of the first three games are ranked opponents in the final one. And then we'll have to see when we get to, you know, Boise State is among others receiving votes. Uh, I, don't, I don't think Virginia and Baylor got any. They, they got question marks. Well, I'm expecting but maybe by the time Virginia. we get there, those will be I'm expecting you to beat Virginia because they got to come all the way out here. Yep. Uh, I don't know about Baylor yet. A lot of questions. And, but, but the good thing about it is that we don't need to know about Baylor yet. There's plenty of time for us to know about Baylor and as we approach that game in the middle of October, we'll know everything we need to know about Baylor. But right now, they're somewhat of a mystery to me. I don't follow them that much. And well, they're playing. Off and blah, they're blah. playing Texas State on ESPN Plus in the opener. So I'm not going to watch that. We're not going to know much about Baylor after Game One, and they're playing Texas no. Southern Game Two, so we won't know much about them then. Oh, geez, what are they freaking Utah with a cream puff non-conference schedule? And then Kansas for their conference opener, Game Three, and Kansas is terrible. Okay, don't read me any more schedules now. 
Yeah, I, you just can wait for late September to start thinking about Baylor because nothing's well, not going, going to matter until yeah, then. I'm not going to think about them now. Yeah. Like, there's too much stuff at hand. Uh, I'm excited for the Cougars to to show what they got, man. This is a, this is a phenomenal opportunity to make a statement, and I, I love it when BYU wins and they beat teams from power conferences because I love the yeah buts. I don't know that there's a team. Well, the yeah button. This is going to be. They've lost thirteen in a row. They're terrible. I understand that. <laughs> They're terrible. I understand. Which that. may well be true. It's year yeah. one with a okay, ton fine. of change. But it's still every time BYU wins one of these games. Yeah, but they always have a yeah, but it's like they can never win. And we won. We were the better team on this day. BYU of all the teams that we cover and follow. In the conferences, they're the biggest, yeah, but. There's always a significant portion that want to say, yeah, but, when BYU beats one of these teams. It's always something. And again, it'll be with Arizona. Wow, they've lost 12 in a row, of course, and I get it. This one's probably the most legitimate. And every win last year, when you combine them and they went 11, they went 11 and 1, right? And they end up with, yeah, but. And it's, it's awesome. If I were BYU, I would have a huge chip on my shoulder because no matter what you do, it's not good enough. DJ and PK, everything you missed in this show, we will get you up to speed next, including the breaking NFL news if you're just getting going and missed it. Stay with us. It's 97.5, 1280 The Zone. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30. Presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON. On your home of the the best college football coverage in Utah. 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. We're excited to show people what we got, man. It's going to be dope. <laughs> no, I'm excited. Our, our defensive line is super excited. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not like, you know, Amish people. We, we read the internet and stuff sometimes. Our D-line gets really insulted by some of this stuff, bro. Like, I think all of us are just itching to get at it, bro. And so, um, we're ready. <laughs> Riley Tatao. I did better at seven, didn't I? You did judging by your laughter. Seven. Give it come on one more time. Hit it. Uriah Leatawa. Leatawa. Dang it. All right, there he is, bro. They are ready to prove people wrong. Silence the doubters. Leatawa. Leatawa. Power on Arizona. I had a David Locke pause to make sure you were done there. I felt like there might be a second <laughs> verse, so I gave it five seconds. One, one thousand. Got to be careful, with David, because he's just gathering his thoughts. <laughs> I thought you might be composing a second verse, so I had to just back off there for a minute. Well, I have to see how the first verse is received before I go to the second. If the first verse isn't received well, I just blow it off. All right, that didn't work. Next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just keep moving, keep going, man. Don't stop. <laughs> All right, the big NFL news this morning. Cam Newton is out in New England. Bill Belichick releasing him. Multiple reports. Boston Globe had it first. Mac Jones is a starting quarterback. No safety net. Do they have their Josh Allen? And how long will it take to compete in that division again? Because 
The Patriots own the division for a couple decades, but now Buffalo's got it rolling. Miami's ready to challenge, and the Jets and the Patriots are going to go with rookie quarterbacks and see how quickly they can build it up. Well, also some talk that uh, Newton did not get vaccinated, so that might have played into it. Another potential element. The world in which we live. Vaccination. Costing him his job. Or was it they don't want any second guessing and just this is our guy and no net and we're better off that way. Or they wanted the three million or so that uh, Cam Newton freed up. Yach had his number. Was it three million, Yach? It was three and a half. Three and a half million. They wanted that for cap room and other moves they're making. Or Cam's agent is like, hey, if we're the backup here, we got a better offer somewhere else. Are we going to see where Cam Newton lands, if anywhere, in the next 24 or 48 hours? So all sorts of questions to sort out, and people can't wait to get to the bottom of it, I'm sure. Well, I'm excited for play, uh, play games, that type of thing, to be able to make your analysis because it doesn't matter. Whatever the bottom line is, if Mac Jones goes out and plays very well and shows promise like, say, Justin Herbert did last year, well, then who cares? Because you got your guy. Yeah, yeah. You look at Herbert. The Chargers didn't win a lot of games, but Herbert sure looked really good, I thought. Uh, you're not alone. You're not alone. He made a major uh, you know, positive impression there. So, All right, other stuff uh, we have been talking about. Hurricane Ida is resetting college and pro football. New Orleans getting battered by high winds, not so much with the flooding, but tons of wind damage and power out. So the Tulane-Oklahoma game has been moved from New Orleans to Norman, Oklahoma, which has got to be a major disappointment for uh, Tulane to get a, an opponent like in there, that in there. Probably was a big deal. But now they're going to Norman. So there you go. And the Saints, uh, Yach, you had an update on that. The Saints are going to be gone. Yeah, Sean Payton had said yesterday that they, he was going to let the players know at the end of this week where they would be reconvening, obviously, ahead of the season. But he's saying this morning that they do not plan as an organization to be in New Orleans through the month of September due to all the damage sustained. Does that apply even to the home game with Green Bay? They move the, that? the home yeah, game against yeah, Green yeah. Bay will not be played in the Superdome. And I would assume they probably have another home game in that month. So there's probably two games affected now. So Hurricane Ida causing uh, all kinds of damage in New Orleans. And inevitably, some of that fallout is going to get to football. And it has. The injury of the week, Trey Lance, Niners rookie quarterback, a small chip and a finger on his throwing hand. That sounds painful. But he's only supposed to be out a week, and we got a week and a half to the start of the season, so I guess there's still a chance that uh, he can be ready to go. He'll get on the field this year, sooner rather than later. Yeah, it'll be interesting to uh, compare all the quarterbacks who got drafted in the first round, right, and see how these guys stacked up against each other, instant analysis, who took the right guy, who took the wrong guy. Man, if Bill Belichick got the best quarterback picking 15th after four other guys went, that'll make everybody sick to their stomach. Uh, Yeah, but if your guy is really good, who cares what they got? Well, just because you're the best guy at the end of year one doesn't mean you're going to end up having the best And he won't be. Zach Wilson will be. Oh, there it is. Now, you stir in the pot or you really believe that? How long have I believed in Zach Wilson? I, <laughs> I know, but league. you stirred the pot, so either thing could be true. That's the beauty of what you just did. I speak from the heart, and that equals stirring the pot. I mean, that doesn't Thank make you. any sense to me, stirring the pot. Get out of town. 
Shohei Otani putting on a show, hitting home run number 42. And the Angels, uh, that was the difference, part of the difference, I guess. Every run matters, right? Angels beat the Yankees 8-7. to And Shohei Otani will not pitch tonight. He needs additional time for his right hand to heal after he got hit. Uh, Saturday was batting, got hit by a fastball, clocked at 93 miles an hour. So he won't be pitching, but Shohei Otani still thrilling people. And you were watching that. How many Yankee fans at that game? Uh, they did a cut in when he came up to bat, and he hit one way out there in right field. And they did a sort of like a pan panoramic view, I guess. It just seemed like there were 30,000 Yankee fans going berserko when uh, Stanton hit the home run. He hit a home run off the rocks there mm-hmm. uh, that they had the, that rock formation thing that they put out in yeah. the center field. And he bounced one off there. I mean, he, the guy is so huge and strong. And so many Yankee fans, Angels aren't going anywhere again as they contemplate whether to shut down Mike Trout. And basically, Mike Trout wouldn't have played this season uh, for all the time he's missed with the injury. So, uh, Yankee fans are running out there, man. They, so, they're, what, 14-2 and two in their last 16? Three. That's three now. Because they lost two games in Oakland. Saturday right. To Oakland Saturday and Sunday, and now uh, this one here, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are they? It's a three-game losing streak after a 13-game winning 13 streak, I think. And three after yeah. 16. It's You'll take that over good. 16 games, right? Yeah. You I don't want it when you're 13-0, and 0, but, <laughs> but at the start of it, you'll take it. Yeah. Trout, they just had him run the bases over the weekend, and he ended up with soreness in his calf. That doesn't sound good, and they're not going anywhere. So this only wins one way, doesn't it? Well, there's a month left in the season, so yeah, what's the point? Unless he's totally healthy. But at the same time, if he's close and he re-injures it, as long as it's not long-term, he's got five months to rehab it. True story. They are nine and a half games out of the wild card. There are two games under 500, so that's a lot of teams to hop and a lot of ground to make up. So They're not going anywhere. Uh, we heard from Kyle Whittingham earlier this morning. He had his press conference. The uh, The doubt for him going into the opener is as many as three starting offensive linemen can miss. And so we've got multiple moving pieces. That seems to be the only question for the Utes going into the Weber State game. Other than that, everything seems on track. Uh, I think they got to answer who's going to be their running backs. Uh, I think that's a big thing. Are they counting on Theo Howard being a big-time receiver for them? That remains to be seen if that's possible. Uh, maybe it is. Sure help if they had one. If they had close to a 1,000-yard receiver, uh, that would that would make a difference. So I think they have other questions. I don't know that any of them are going to be answered against Weber, but they'll be answered in time, that's for sure. Yep. And for uh, BYU, the, uh, the Pac-12 commissioner, George Klavkov, tweeting out 57,000 people. Headed to Las Vegas. 57,000 people already have their tickets for the Arizona-BYU game. Sellout would be 65,000. And so I guess the question is, how many of those are Cougar fans? And does this set up future games in Vegas? With, of course, the other question out there, how many games does BYU need to set up? Are they going to a conference or not? So there's multiple moving pieces to that puzzle as well. But for a team that's already turned out crowds of 40,000, at the uh, Sam Boyd Stadium, a.k.a. the old Silver Bowl for Las Vegas Bowls. Now you have a bigger stadium, state-of-the-art. you got to 
you got a Pac-12 opponent and you got 57,000, and is it going to get to 60 or 65 here? More deals to come, it would seem like. Well, I think that from the Pac-12 perspective, they're going to try to have a presence in Vegas. I don't think there's any question on that because they've already got LSU and SC in two years, don't they? They've got that. They're planning on preseason games there. They've obviously got the SEC Pac-12 bowl game there. They've got the Pac-12 basketball tournament there. So putting a game or two or three in these first two or three weeks of the college football season every year seems obvious. There's a lot of money to be made in Vegas, so Vegas can write schools a bigger check, and we know the Pac-12 is trying to figure out how to close the revenue gap. So it seems like all the arrows are pointing in one direction here. I think it's great that the city of Vegas has included sports, big-time sports, in its entertainment package. You know, it has obviously a city of entertainment, but go ahead and have the sports. It never, ever, ever made any sense to me. I've been going to Vegas. My parents used to go up as soon as we moved, actually before we moved, because my sister moved first, and they went out and visited, and we've been going to, I've been going to Vegas since I was like 10 years old. And I'd always thought, okay, this is a place where gambling is regulated to the highest level. So why wouldn't sports? Because sports in its essence is entertainment. That's the, from my perspective, that's the point of sports. And you have all this entertainment in Vegas. So why in the world wouldn't sports be a part of it? Because sports is entertainment. It, it, I mean, that, that's that's the way I view sports. Nothing more. It's entertainment, which is, and I'm, I'm a little bit of an anomaly. I don't think I'm that much. I think people view it as entertainment too. Just a lot of people, it's more entertaining if your team wins. And for me, when the game's over, it's over. I rarely care who wins. I care if I was entertained, and so much of the time I am. And I suspect I will be Saturday, even if it's a blowout. If it's a blow, as long as it's a blowout for BYU. If it's a blowout for Arizona, then so all that's this a talk big and, old downer. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that is yeah. a big old wet blanket. It really would be. I don't well, anticipate that happening by any stretch. Well, for a long time, it was boxing and college basketball, and that that was kind of Vegas. And they get NFL the P- football, just the gambling. Well, it. they get yeah right, and they get the PGA Tour, and they get an NASCAR stop, and they get an NHL team, and now they have an NFL team, and that's going to bring more big college football events there. So uh, they're they are riding the wave without question. Yeah, I think it's great to see. All right, anything else you want to pass along to the people? Any nuggets from Frank Dolce and Dylan Colley? We talked Utes and Cougars with both of them, and Frank mused over. The Utes getting a big-time wide receiver at some point, and Dylan Colley setting the bar from Jaron Hall pretty high, op- optimistic, but uh, staying away from any Zach Wilson comparisons. For now. Uh, probably forever, but certainly for now. I love the fact that he says this this team really trusts Jaron Hall. That, to me, if you have belief in the quarterback – then it just sets us just a tremendous wave of confidence throughout the entire program, specifically on the offensive side. And even on the defensive side, too, if you know you've got an offense, you know, you could maybe try a couple of things defensively that you wouldn't necessarily try. And I'm excited for A-Rod to have full reign of the offense. When I say full reign, complete and total full reign, I'm excited to see what he comes up with each week. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Look, guys, they're pumping BYU up, and the bottom line is they're not going to beat Utah this year. They're not going to be able to hang with the top of tier of the Pac-12. I'm sorry. (laughs) There it is. The season within the season. Very well could happen. There's five Pac-12 games, but Arizona and Washington State are not viewed as among the elite. So the three ranked teams on their schedule, USC, Utah, and ASU, picked one, two, three in the Pac-12 South. Okay. If BYU goes nine and three and and loses to the Utes and the Devils and the Trojans, then the debate on what kind of a season it is. Can oh, wasn't rage good on. enough. Come on, the top three teams. Blah, yeah, but yes, it will be the classic. Yeah, but I don't. We don't know that they'll be the top three teams. We don't. We we don't. UCLA might have something to say about that. One of the three could fall apart. Injuries. Who knows what? Yeah. ASU obviously has got distractions off the field with, you know, the three coaches who are already <clears throat> vaporized. Yeah, uh, certainly they have So anything could happen. You're right. Anything could happen. But if it went by the book and the three ranked teams turned out to be the three best teams in the South, and it never goes by the book, so this won't happen. It would be too glorious if it did happen. It would be too good for Sports Talk Radio if it happened. Nine and three. You're not throwing back a nine win. Rebuilding after all those guys drafted? That is outstanding. Yeah, take a look at uh, BYU's or Utah's season a couple years ago. You know what ranked teams did they beat? Oh, when they went eleven and one, and then eleven and three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to talk about that PK. <laughs> so, okay. you go, what about if, in two thousand four when they were undefeated? Seven win Texas A and M team, an eight win Pitt team. Those yeah, were the big but wins. At the sa- same time, undefeated. Undefeated is, is undefeated. Yeah, you know how many losses to explain right. away. Uh, I. Nine and three with losses to those three teams. I go back to what I keep saying. What's the complexion of the games? If you get down right at the end and somebody makes a play or something, there's a winner and loser in every game. But was the game close? Could it have gone either way? If it could go either way, then there's something to be said for that. Now, just because the game is close. You know, Herm Edwards loves to play these NFL-style close games. Well, we we lost five games by one score. Yeah, but it didn't seem like you are in any position to win the game. So what's the game within the game? You know, when we get there, when it's all said and done in November, then we can make assessments on all these types of things and evaluate each team's season as a whole. So if you get smoked in those three games – well, then, yeah, maybe you were just a fraud and you beat up a bunch, a bunch of bad teams. But it's not like those are the only three good teams that are on the schedule either. We got a whole thread here of attendance smack between Utes and Cougars. And in the end, there's one critical fact we have not discussed all morning. What? That could weigh in very – it could be critical here. So uh, 
Pac-12 Commissioner George Klavkov has tweeted out that there's 57,000 tickets sold for BYU-Arizona. Vegas Ute says, well, Arizona basketball fans flock to Vegas, so I imagine a fair number of football fans will go. Obviously, football doesn't win as much as basketball, right? Uh, He says, number two, the local LDS community always shows up for BYU in Vegas. Three, Vegas is an easy trip on the Wasatch Front, even more so from southeast Utah. And four, some non-aligned locals are bound to attend this game as entertainment. Uh, and he says, while I imagine BYU will have the majority of the fans, I doubt it'll be quite the overwhelming ratio I'm hearing and reading. And they're going, you know, 60%, 75%, two-thirds, whatever. And, and it goes back and forth. And then Kyle from Y Soup says, I'll see if I can get some pics of the stadium. I'll try to estimate it. I'm sitting on the BYU side facing the Arizona section. I know at least one whole Arizona section BYU fans bought when the BYU allotment sold out. And curse the dingbat BYU fans who will show up in navy blue, despite that being one of Arizona's colors. <laughs> so how are we going to know, since they share a color? Now, I have uh, heard BYU know. fans saying, well, yeah, you, you can take a look at the stadium after somebody scores a touchdown. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. that's your Turnover, best chance. Whatever. right? There's a big play. Uh, but I have heard people being told Cougar fans wear the royal blue. Whatever it might be. That, that yeah, will stand I, out. Th- yeah, I got it. I'll be there, and I'll personally count. I'll have an oh, exact do it. Do it. detailed. Well, you the, have those two. They have the little the silver things that are about the size of the stopwatch that track coaches use. But they count attendance, and they just and you'll just sit there. I've got let's see, what do I got? Twenty digits, and I can count them. Well, twenty-one really. I can count them, and I'll just keep going on that. Excellent. Uh, we have this guy, I read this earlier, Kyle saying, I bought 43 tickets for my friends and family. We're using them all. So the answer is, I'm doing the buying. And uh, Salt Lake Jake, who's in his avatar, is wearing a Ute beanie, says, you're popular. <laughs> and Utah football fans tweet at him, humble brag. Good for you. You know 43 people. <laughs> 42, he knows himself. Yes, of course. He'll take one ticket for himself. <laughs> Oh, man. I don't think I could get 43, 42 people to attend any event that I wanted to attend unless I brought them front row seats with transportation and food. Jeff guarantees us it will be a sea of royal blue. My family and many others just from my neighbor along the Wasatch Front are going. Imagine that being replicated across Utah, Vegas. Entire neighborhood. Yes. (laughs) And... You know you'll the Vegas and Nevada's expecting a big crowd if you see a bunch of highway patrolmen along I-15 when you get into Nevada. Okay, so I was told this once. Uh, I went on a trip from Santa Barbara to Vegas with people who went routinely, and they were telling me, and I don't know if this is true, if you heard this from people in L.A., you never get a ticket. You can speed from the state line in California to Vegas, but when you're leaving, well, if you go on Sunday afternoon, you're caught in traffic and it's a parking lot. But if you leave it another time, they'll absolutely ding you. But they don't hit you coming in. They hit you going I've out. I've seen it a million times. There it is. So no worries going, but when you're leaving, don't be in too big a hurry. Yeah. And I've seen it from Mesquite to Vegas. So from the California side and from the Utah side. They know Either when you're way. coming. Yep. 
All right, DJ and PK, uh, we ran a poll yesterday, and it didn't really change much, PK, o- overnight. What should BYU do? Join the Big 12, the Mountain West, the AAC, stay independent. 76% for the Big 12, and then a tie between staying independent and going to the Mountain West, both at 11%. Overwhelmingly, Cougar fans embracing the thought of joining the remaining eight. Oh, for sure. All right, DJ and PK, we're all done. Hans and Scotty are up next right here on the Zone Sports Network.